I'm going to apologize in advance because my answer is going to sound like a cop-out. But that doesn't mean that it's not the right answer. Dizruns Radio, episode 1043, starts in three, two... Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well then. Here we are, back for another round of listener Q&A. We do this every month. If you've been around for a while, you know that. Uh, if you're new around these parts, welcome to uh, the, the monthly tradition. The last Friday of each month is dedicated to your questions, my answers, with a little bit of luck. A little bit of useful information comes out when it's all said and done. Not always guaranteed, but, uh, you know, not for not for lack of trying. And uh, this month, y'all uh, y'all came through. With some questions. The last couple months, you know, I felt like the questions were a little bit, uh, you know, I mean, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but the, the volume w- was was a little bit reduced. This month, y'all made up for it. You asked and asked and asked and asked and kept asking. And uh, that means that this one might be a long one. So, I, you know, obviously I'm recording this as we go. So right now I'm, you know, less than two minutes in so far. So, so good. Uh, but you might have glanced at uh, the the recording or the you know the duration of this episode, so you might already know that uh, this one this one's going to probably be a while. I'm guessing you know a couple hours ish, hopefully not. Um, but we shall see. Anyway, before we dive into the first question, just the uh, the the reminder that goes with this episode every month that the best way to get your questions asked and then ultimately answered on the show. It's to join the Facebook group. Dizruns.com slash Facebook is the link, or you can just type in the Dizruns tribe the next time you're mindlessly scrolling through the book of faces. Ask to join. We'll let you in. And then somewhere in the middle of the month, I put out a post that says, what are your questions for this month? You ask them, and that's how I answer them. You are, and this month we do have a couple of folks that submitted questions other ways. You are welcome to submit your questions via email, social media, whatever. Um, and I will do my best to make sure they don't get lost in the shuffle, but I offer no guarantees on that front. If you're in the Facebook group, they're all connected to the one thread. We'll find them. Otherwise I will do my best. And we do, like I said, we do have a a couple of email questions this month, uh, and a couple of Instagram DM questions this month. So, you know, we're, we're all over the place with the questions this month and, uh, let's dive in, shall we? Uh, first question comes from Thessaly. And uh, we're we're hitting hitting the ground running with a with a little bit of a serious question, which is which is a okay with me. Uh, Thessaly's first question: How do you find your why again if you're lacking consistency or motivation? I love running, and objectively, I feel happier when I'm about twenty or thirty minutes into the run. But getting started and the anxiety and pressure I put on myself to get started have become crippling, and I skip more runs than I need to. It's bizarre and extremely frustrating, especially since I've been running for more than ten years. So. Uh, first of all, Thessaly, I, I, um, I, I can empathize. I, I feel, I feel you. Uh, I've been there and I would, I would venture to say that a lot of folks listening have also been there. Not that that necessarily makes things dramatically easier. Um, but it, at least, uh, you know, if nothing else, I hope you know that you're, you're not alone. Uh, it, it happens to most of us, if not all of us from time to time. 
And, uh, you know, with a little bit of luck and maybe a little bit of strategy, you'll be able to, to kind of get yourself back, you know, out of this trough and back up on riding the wave of, of enjoying your runs and looking forward to your runs and things like that. So how can you do that? How might you, uh, you know, kind of help to find the why? Well, you know, as, as is often the case, you know, everything is, is one, one size fits one. But here are some things that have worked for me or for some other folks that I've, you know, talked to or worked with or, or helped in the past. Hopefully one will work for you and, you and it may even require, you know, a little bit of, of a combo, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that to, to make it, make it work. But for me, the thing that always works the best when I, when I kind of start not looking forward to my runs, when I'm, when I'm, my consistency starts to lack and I don't really feel like getting out there is I just take an enforced break and usually at least two weeks. Sometimes it might be three. It might be a full month. Um, but I kind of just, you know, based on how I'm feeling, what kind of events may or may not be on the horizon. Like I'll look at, I look at, the, look at the calendar and say, all right, I'm not going to run again, you know, pick a day. It might be two weeks from now. It might be the end of the next month, whatever it is, but pick a day, not going to run until then. And then just do other things, whether it's, it's the bike, swimming, <laughs> swimming, um, yoga, whatever. Maybe, maybe have a couple extra days off to just sleep in, to, to refresh, rejuvenate, whatever the case might be. But typically, at least when I, when I pick a, a, a duration that's long enough, by the time I'm like three or four days from my, my, you know, definitive line of, I'm not going to run before, you know, the, the fifth and I get to like the first of the month. Um, I'm usually actually starting to look forward to a run. You know, because I haven't forced it. I've, I've given myself a chance to, to, to breathe, to actually miss it. You know, it's kind of that absence makes the heart grow fonder situation. And so like the first I'm kind of, maybe I wouldn't mind going for a run today, but I, I fight the, fight the, uh, the urge. The second it gets a little bit stronger, but you know, by the third and the fourth, I'm like, I'm, ch- I'm champing at the bit. Like, let's go, let's go. And so then usually, hopefully by the, by that day, which in this example might be the fifth of the month, like I'm ready to go. So, you know, I would, I would, I would offer that as a suggestion, maybe give yourself, you know, to the middle of May or maybe the end of May or, you know, depending on what's going on. Uh, but give yourself a couple few weeks at least of, I will just not run period, do some other things. And you might find that, that, that motivation to get out there comes back or for you motivation to get on the treadmill comes back and, uh, you'll be, you'll be ready to go. Um, a couple other suggestions that again may work in isolation or, or maybe you kind of need to, to work with a tandem, you know, with, with combining one or more of these situations together. Uh, and, and the reason I'm putting this one on the list is because kind of the, the anxiety and pressure that you put on yourself that you said in your question, it might make sense to run without data for a while, you know, run, do the old proverbial, you know, naked tech run where, where you leave the watch at home. Um, maybe you don't track any, anything on your phone or, or whatever, but just run. And don't worry about the stats and don't worry about how far you go. Don't worry about the, the, the pace or, or any of that type of stuff. Just run and, and remove all the layers of, of data from the equation. And that could be something that allows you to just enjoy it and take some of that pressure off of yourself because there is no pressure to have to get a certain number of miles per week or to get a certain number of, you know, certain pace or, or whatever, or keep your run below a certain heart rate or above a certain, like you just take all that out of the equation. You just run, just listen to your body, run. And that's a good way to kind of re- rediscover some of that joy and that excitement about getting out there. Or again, in your case, getting in there, getting into the gym or into the garage, getting on the treadmill and getting your miles in. Um, that said, another suggestion might be a change of scenery. So I know you love the, your treadmill, Thessaly, and, and as, as much as I roll my eyes about it, hey, you know, as always, you do you, right? If that works for you, no, no shame in that game. 
that's that's your thing. But maybe maybe getting getting out for a run outside, whether it's on the trails, whether it's on the road, something to just to just break up that normal routine. You know, something that you might look forward to. Maybe it's maybe it's going, you know, going to the next town over. Maybe, maybe you kind of plan something out. Hey, you know, we'll, we'll drive 20 miles. We'll go over to this other town. Um, we'll, we'll get a run in, uh, stop at the, the, whatever the coffee shop on the way home. And like, like kind of, whether it's, it's we with like, like, you know, actually having people that you go with, or maybe it's just a solo date that you do that type of thing, but just something that that's just different enough that you kind of look forward to it. Right. It, it gets you out of the routine, out of the mundane, out of the monotony. And, and really is something like, Oh gosh, I, I would love to do this. And, and maybe it just has to be a one-off, but it's just enough to breathe a little bit of, of life back into it. And then the next day you're, you're excited to get on the treadmill. Uh, last but not least of the suggestions would be to, to maybe do something in support of somebody else. So maybe it's a group run. Maybe it's something where you're encouraging somebody else, you know, somebody that's, that's, that, you know, uh, that, that is, is looking forward to maybe trying to start running or they're, they're a little bit worried about starting to run. Uh, maybe you pace somebody for a 5k, you know, or just, just run with them to help motivate them, but doing something where it's, it's again, where it takes some of that pressure and anxiety off of you and your performance, because it's just like, Hey, this isn't about me. You know, this is about whoever. Um, and you just get out there together and, and it's all about helping the other person and, and cheering them on and, and exciting them and motivating them. And that takes that burden off of you to where you just like, you enjoy it. And maybe, maybe it becomes that you run with this person a few times, you know, over the course of the next couple of weeks, which might also mean a little bit less treadmill in. So maybe this is a combo situation for you to get out of the normal location and also out of the normal routine. Um, but some of those types of things, you know, think about some, some ways to maybe spice it up, change it up, maybe different time of day, um, whatever, but something, it sounds like, it sounds like, and again, this has happened to me a few times. Um, you're just in a rut. And, and some, some change to get you out of the rut could be all, and it might not be that big of a deal. It might be something that takes a little more effort. Um, but taking a break, changing scenery, changing the routine, running with somebody else, ignoring all the data. Uh, those are all kinds of, of rut busters as far as I'm concerned. And hopefully one, or again, some combination of those factors will help you, but, but good luck, Thessaly. And, and, you know, Again, you're, you're not alone. You're not the first runner that's ever kind of had a, a lack in, of motivation, which leads to a lack of consistency. You won't be the last. I can promise you that. Second question from Thessaly. On a lighter note, it's almost Mother's Day. How are you celebrating your mom and your lovely wife? Um, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess, I guess the, 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 the sneaky answer is I, I, well, I, you know, I got to keep that, got to keep that under wraps because you never know who might be listening. Um, I'm pretty sure Rebecca's not listening. There's a, there's a decent, like my mom, like figured out how to listen to podcasts. I don't know if she doesn't know how to figure out multiple podcasts, but I can at least like, like the trope about like nobody listens to my podcast, but my mom, like my mom listens now, I think. Um, so I can't tell you because you know, I don't want to spoil the surprise that said, let's not, let's not kid ourselves. It's still, it's still April mother's day is not until may. Um, that means I won't think about or figure out what I'm doing for my mom and my wife until may. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know is the, is the real honest answer. We'll, we'll figure it out. You know, usually I do something and, and, and we've got the, uh, the, the mother's day anniversary combo in our house, uh, cause we got married on mother's day weekend and actually our anniversary because of how, how the, the week falls this year, how the, the month falls. Um, it's actually a little bit longer gap between our, our anniversary and mother's day this year. Um, which is, it's nice when it's a two for one, you know, you kind of get two birds, one stone. Um, 
but usually, you know, usually do something breakfasty, making, making, making meals, uh, around my house is usually something that gets the, the job done for mother's day slash anniversary. But, uh, I don't know, like I said, I haven't, I haven't thought that far ahead just yet. And, uh, you know, I guess, I guess that means I've got about two weeks to figure it out. So I, maybe I should start thinking about it. Thanks for putting it on my radar. Thessaly. I appreciate you. Good looking out. Good looking out. Uh, but thanks for the questions, m'lady. Hope things, uh, turn around for you on the running front ASAP. Next question from north of the border. Brian asks, why is marathon taper typically three weeks? Are there advantages to tapering for three weeks instead of two or even one? Um, that's a good question, Brian. And, and I, my initial pushback is, is who said that marathon taper is typically three weeks? Because I feel like I, I always kind of default closer to two. Um, and I, I feel like most plans that I've seen or most coaches I've talked to kind of tend to default towards two as well. Although I do know some that, that lean towards three. Um, the fact of the matter is, is, is it kind of depends, I think on, on there's lots of variables. I don't know that, that any of those numbers are better than other. I would say one is probably not ideal. Um, just because there's not much to be gained by only having a one week taper in that. How to, how to say this without talking myself too much into a, into a corner, which let's not kid ourselves usually happens anyway, but you know, the, the, what's the goal of the taper? All right. The, the goal of the taper is to make sure your legs are rested, refreshed, ready to go on races. So you can get out there and hammer, right? Um, how long does that take? I mean, you can make an argument that a week is plenty. Um, I feel like two is, is, is definitely plenty. You can make an argument that three is maybe a little bit extravagant, but Hey, you know, better to err on the side of caution, right? What everybody that I work with or most everybody that I've ever worked with has, has probably rolled their eyes at the number of times I've said, you remember we're in the taper period now. So less is more. So maybe a longer taper, like, you know, not going to hurt anything. Maybe there's, there's some type of less is more scenario in there as well. Um, but, but if you go back to kind of how long it takes for physiological ad- adaptations to take place, you know, and a response to a training stimuli, Rule of thumb, which, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, but typically we're talking about two weeks. So if you want to do some workouts inside of two weeks before your marathon, you could make an argument. You'll still be well recovered. You know, if you, if you do a good workout 10 days or even a week out, um, that you can recover well enough in a week to be ready to go. But what's the, what's, what's the payoff of doing that hard workout 10 days or a week out from your marathon? Because physiologically, your body's not going to have time to have really adapted to implement those gains, to, to, to get stronger or to have built the endurance just a little bit more or, or whatever the case might be. So you're running the risk of showing up at your race with less than a full tank, and there's really no upside. There's really no reward to it because just physiologically, your body's not going to adapt quickly enough. So if you're looking at two weeks as the last, that last big long run before your race, well, now you've got two weeks for that, that little boost of endurance, that little bit of, of growth to still happen to actually maybe pay off on race day, three weeks. You pretty much guarantee that you'll get the payoff. Um, for me, I feel like the, 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 the biggest trick is keeping people from getting in their head too much. And that's where I really would back off from a three week taper for, for myself is because, you know, it's hard enough dealing with the taper crazies for two weeks, but now you want to deal with them for three weeks. Like, eh, that's, that's feels like it's asking for, for more trouble than it's worth as well. So, you know, anywhere in that three weeks or two weeks is, is fine. One week is, is theoretically probably enough time to, to recover your legs, but you're not going to get any benefit from that work you do 
between week two and week one. So, you know, probably not really worth it is, is the, the, the long and the short of it. Um, like I said, three weeks, two weeks, anything in there is probably good. And then of course, you know, as always adjust based on your experience, based on what works best for you. If you find that three weeks really does work best for you, then take three. If you find that four weeks works best for you, take four, whatever, you know, it, it, there's, there's, as long as you're, you know, listening to your body, trusting your body and, and learning as you go, you'll be able to dial it in and figure out kind of what, what the right timeline is for you. If you can, if you can quiet your mind enough to do your last really big long run four weeks out, and then you do some kind of controlled efforts in between, that's fine too. That's fine too. So, um, ultimately do what works best for you, but hopefully that makes a little sense. Brian, as time is, as why that two week, three week window, it tends to be the most common, um, for most plans, but you know, as always, you can, th- those are just, those are just the, the, the guidelines. Um, there's, there's more, uh, you, you can always find things that are coloring outside the lines or plans or coaches or, or beliefs that fall outside of those. Ultimately what works for you is what matters. Next couple of questions coming from Leticia. First one, what is your opinion about the midweek medium long run in marathon prep? How important slash essential is it, especially for people who work full time and also do other cross training activities? I've read about its benefits and have listened to some coaches interviews on podcasts talking about how important it is. But honestly, I find it very hard to go for more than, um, oh boy, she's, she's throwing kilometers at me and I'm trying to translate in my head while reading the question, but I find it very hard to go more than 14, 15 kilometers, which is like eight, nine miles in the middle of the week. My comfort zone would be 12 to 13 K. So you're talking, you know, six, seven miles during the week, plus a long run with no time constraints on the weekend. Am I too wrong or missing too much by not doing a midweek medium long run? Since those coaches also mention, since those coaches I mentioned are also the same people who preach everyone should be doing speed work, I would love to hear your thoughts on the subject. So, uh, Leticia, thank you for for the question. And this is one of those that like my my thoughts on the subject of that that moderate, medium ish length long run ish um, during the week is that if it fits your schedule and you're feeling strong physically and able to handle it, it's a bonus. It's good. It'll help you. But if it doesn't really fit your schedule or you have to, to crimp and cram too much otherwise, like it's, it's not absolutely vital. It's not absolutely mandatory. Um, and, and this is where maybe sometimes it's like, like how does it impact the whole, the whole of your training? Meaning like if, if you're getting, if you're already running, you know what you're doing, as I'm reading your, your, your message here, like if you're running that 12 to 13 K multiple times during the week, three or four times during the week, plus the long run on the weekend, like to have one of those runs be 14, 15 K instead of 12, 13 K, like that's not that much. But if you're, if you're only maybe running twice during the week and then once on the weekend, it would probably be beneficial to get a little bit extra day in whether it's 12, 13 K or 14, 15 K. It also depends on your goals though. And it depends on, on what your cross training is like. I mean, maybe, you know, if you, if you added a fourth or fifth day of running, whether we're talking 14, 15 K or even 16 to 20 K versus 12 or 13 K, um, you know, like, like would that, would that potentially wear you down too much, you know, based on, on your history and, and injuries and niggles and past experiences like, like this, as is always the case, there is no one size fits all. You know, maybe, maybe in, in a perfect world, everybody would have, you know, plenty of time to get all the sleep they need and all the, the strength training and, and recovery work and this and that and the other, and still have, you know, a, a moderate long run in the midweek and then a really good long run on the, on the weekend and, and another three or four runs during the week. Like, sure. 
but you got to do what works for you. And so, um, like I said, I feel like that, that longer midweek run, if it, if it works and your base is strong and it fits your schedule, you can, you can make it work without sacrificing sleep or recovery or any of that type of stuff. It's not going to hurt anything. It probably will help you fit your fitness a little bit, but are those extra, you know, two or three miles or four or five K, um, each week going to make that big of a difference on race day? No, especially if you're better able to be more fit, recovered, healthy, strong, because you're able to get the other things in that way. Um, you know, that I, I wouldn't lose any sleep about, about quote unquote, only going more than, you know, 12 to, to 14 to 15 K during the week. Um, and not touching 16 to 20 K or, you know, not touching that kind of that half, half marathon ish distance. Like you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Uh, and quite frankly, you know, not, not to, to divulge too much of anybody's details, but there's very few of my, my folks, um, that I coach and that I have coached over the years that do the longer midweek run a few, the, the few them ask for it. They have the schedule that allows it. They have the fitness that allows it. And so we do it, but that's, that's not my priority as a coach to make sure we're getting this medium long run in like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's make sure we're getting just miles in wherever we can long run in staying healthy. And then we'll worry about the details after that. And I feel like that is a detail that you worry about after the basics. So hope that makes, makes sense. Leticia and hope, uh, you know, you do what you do, what you need to do and not worry about what everybody else might be saying. Uh, second question on a more personal note, do you feel like your recent injury was sort of uh, quote unquote, the price to pay for getting closer to your potential? I mean, it happened right after a half marathon uh, PR, a big half marathon PR for the record, and also after a record mileage in the, the previous year. I feel like, and it scares me, the worst nasty injuries tend to happen when you're on top fitness, enjoying progress, and pushing limits. I keep thinking I'd love to get better, uh, run faster, get you know, go farther, but maybe you know, even qualifying for some of the majors, but the price to pay potentially getting injured is and not being able to run is not something that you want to risk. Um that's a, that's a very interesting question and something that I hadn't really thought of until I saw your question. And I don't, I don't think so, but I don't think you're off base. I, I think there very well could be a, a correlation there. Um, I, I think that, I think that, uh, you're, you're, I think that what you're getting at makes sense. You know, you push yourself to, to a new limit, whether it's, it's racing as hard as you can or adding more miles or whatever. Like, of course you're, you know, when you're doing that, you're pushing your body. There's, there's always that chance you could push a little too far. Um, I think that for me with the two little kind of, you know, between the, the itis that was, that was the itis was definitely not any type of serious thing. It was just a, a little, it was just a little niggle that I kind of kept ignoring long enough. And finally it was just like, I, I need to get this taken care of. And, and I did. Uh, but then this little foot thing that cropped up in the last week, which I don't even know was happened before your question came out, but one way or the other it lines up, um, that one maybe, but I, I honestly think that most that, that my itis for sure, maybe this foot thing as well, um, weren't so much a, a, a result from doing too much, pushing too hard, trying to get to that, that peak level of fitness as it was from neglecting all of the other stuff, right? Like, and so, and so, but at the same time, I mean, maybe there's something in there because if I hadn't pushed as hard, maybe it wouldn't have happened. 
But if I had just been more consistent with the foam roller, more consistent with some cross training, more consistent with, with taking care of my body, getting good sleep, nutrition, all that kind of good stuff that, that if I'm honest, I did kind of slack on a little bit at various points. Um, I think that would have made me resilient enough that I wouldn't have ever had the itis to begin with. And I think the foot thing is just a fluke, like to be quite honest. And I, I'm still not entirely sure what it is. Um, and it's getting better, thankfully, but I, I think that one was just a fluke, a fluke, something. Um, so I get what you're asking and you're right. You know, the harder you're pushing, the more likely that something's going to break. But I think that, that for me, the takeaway is, and maybe the, the, the takeaway for you to help you kind of rest, rest a little bit easier about potentially pushing yourself in some, some races is the harder you push, the more intentional, the more focused, the more diligent you'll probably want to be on the recovery work on the, on the little things work to make sure to help mitigate that risk of injury or to do you give yourself the best chance of mitigating that risk of injury. So, um, very good question. Very thought provoking, hopefully an answer that makes a little bit of sense. Um, and hopefully something that, uh, you know, my, my little niggles and injuries that have happened over the last couple months, um, can, can help prevent somebody else from, from it. Hopefully you, and hopefully anybody else listening can help to, to stay healthy by, by maybe doing a little bit more of, of the, the taking care of your body, which I've been much more focused on doing recently for obvious reasons. And uh, hopefully I will continue to be focused on that going forward. But thank you for the questions, Lee. Good to hear from you. Uh, hope things are well down in Brazil. Next question from Ms. Morgan. So many questions right now, but I'll have the answers on five one. So I guess I'll just be patient. I may find answers to questions I didn't even know I had. Well, if that's not a cryptic AF message, I don't know what is. And I don't feel like there's a question there. You've got all these questions. You didn't ask a single one. So I guess I'll just be patient and uh, wait to hear about the shenanigans that you have in store for uh, a couple of days from now. Have fun. Let it all hang out, Kate. Get out there. Get after it. And I uh, hope you hope you have a great race this weekend, um, because I know what you're talking about. But I'll keep it I'll keep it close to the vest. I'll keep it under covers. I'll keep it I'll pe- keep it clothed in in in, in mystery, um, and let you decide if you want to bear it all going forward. How's that? How's that? You're you're laughing right now. I know you are. I know you are. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, next question from Russ: Is it possible to run miles too slow when you are base building? Uh, as long as my form doesn't break down. Uh, no, not really. Uh, you know, is there, is there a point where, where potentially it's probably not helpful? I mean, sure. But if you're running, probably not. Um, and I would make an argument that even walking is going to be beneficial. So, so really no. Um, now are you going to get the massive, the, not the massive, are you going to get the maximal maybe aerobic benefits or physiological benefits from, you know, running at, at whatever pace at, at, you know, or maybe even let's talk heart rates, right? Like, like if, if you're trying to keep your heart rate below 140, and I'm just making up numbers, Russ, there's no, no prescription here, but you're trying to keep your heart rate below 140 and you're, you're running at 115, but your form's fine. Um, you may not make quite as much progress, but no, there's no, there's no, like, it's not like it's too slow to be beneficial. And shoot, if you look at my, my runs when I'm healthy enough to actually run, um, that's exactly what I do. I'm trying to keep my numbers below 140, 141. And it's, it's a rare occurrence that I'm in the mid one thirties at all, let alone for the majority of a run. Typically I'm in the one twenties, sometimes the one tens. Um, and I, I don't believe for a second that that's not helping me build my base, that that's not helping me improve my fitness. That's not helping to move me forward. Some people might argue, some people might disagree. 
Um, but I, I, from, from the, the learning and the research and the, the places that I've gathered information over the years, especially as it relates to heart rate training, and maybe some of that's biased because it's all pro heart rate training stuff. I mean, you know, again, take it, take, take the information to, you know, free information, free answers to, to questions is, is sometimes all you're getting is what, what, what you paid for. Um, but I can't see a scenario where that's not beneficial, where it's, where it's too slow or too easy to help you moving forward. And again, even if you're walking, it's still time on feet and that's still beneficial in some way. Is it the same level of benefit? You can make that argument that it's not, but not beneficial at all. Sorry. I can't go there. I can't go there. No way. No way. So my advice, keep on keeping on, make sure your form's good. Um, and trust, trust in the process, trust in the process because it, it does work. Whether we're talking heart rate, whether we're talking effort, whether we're talking just, you know, doing recovery run and building your base, it works. It works. However you get there, it works. Stick with it. Stick with it. So thank you for the question, Russ. Hope all is well on your end of the line. Next question from Sean. Winners in Maine are wearing on us. How difficult was the move to Florida? What were the challenges? I'm an educator like Rebecca. So Sean, this is a, this is a loaded question. Um, because if, if you go back in the timeline far enough, like, I mean, basically my move to Florida happened when I was a, you know, after I graduated high school and to start college. So like leaving the Midwest to go to Florida, um, and that was awesome. That was awesome. I didn't have family to worry about. You know, I didn't have, uh, jobs to worry about getting like my job was to go to class, go to the pool, uh, drink beers once in a while. Like, like that was life. Life was good when I moved to Florida. Um, obviously it's, it's different, you know, than, than, you know, it's anywhere you move is going to be different than what you're used to, right? Different community, different, different vibe, different, different situation. Um, Florida is, is Florida, you know, for some it's, it sounds like a, uh, idyllic paradise. Some people it's freaking dumpster fire. For me, it's kind of a little bit of both. Um, you know, and, and I think that sometimes whenever you're, you're thinking about a move anywhere, um, you know, the, the, you run the risk of that, the grass is greener situation. And, and then you get there and you find out that, that maybe it's not always greener. Um, you know, I, I think that, that some of the challenges that, that you might have to deal with are certainly the, the weather extremes, um, like winter in Maine. I can, I can imagine how much that wears on you. I'll tell you what though, brother, summer in Florida, that wears on you too. Um, now it might wear on you differently. And it might be something that for the first couple of years, if you move this far down, um, you'd be like, dang, I'm like, I love it. I love it. Bring all the heat and the humidity and the mosquitoes and you know, whatever. We'll go to the beach. It'll be fine. Like you might love it, but you might get five years from it. You're like, golly, like summer that starts in April and doesn't end until Thanksgiving. And like, like it's, it's not terrible. And I'll take, you know, and as I've said before, I'll take that over the Michigan winters and I'm sure over the main winters as well. Um, but it does, it does get old after a while. The lack of seasons can be tough. That was something that I definitely struggled with. Um, not like struggled with, struggled with, but like I miss the seasons. I definitely miss fall. I miss that, that chill crispness in the air that like, like, you know, as, as we've talked about, or at least as I've talked about a few times, my sense of smell is not exactly strong, but like there's a smell about fall or at least there's something, there's some type of, of sense that I get about fall that you, you don't, I don't get down here. Like it just doesn't happen. And I, I miss that. You know, I miss, I miss like walking out first thing in the morning, frost on the grass, um, which we do get frost on the ga- grass once in a while down here, but it's not the same. And just like the smell of the leaves and just the, the, the smell of fall, like 
Mm, that's good stuff. So I, you know, I miss, I miss that type of thing. So if you, if you know, winter might be getting old, but if you, if you, you know, like spring and you like fall, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to sacrifice winter or you're going to sacrifice spring and fall to get rid of the winter might be a trade off. Y'all are willing to make, you know, but it might not be, um, you know, as far as, as moving down as an educator, um, I don't think too many people in Florida, in Florida, 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 um, apparently I can't talk either. So maybe I need, I need more educators in my life. Uh, but, but I don't think too many people in Florida would, would really brag about the quality of our education system statewide, meaning you would have no problem getting a job down here. You know, like that, that would be, that would be a non-issue. Um, you're not gonna get paid very well because we don't exactly like support education down here. Although if, if you go at the district level, like based on what I think I know about your education background, like you might be able to find a, a, a district type of job and you can get paid pretty well for something like that. But if you're going to come in to be a, a teacher, like, nah, you know, if you get into administration, maybe. Um, but as far as like, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've taught in Florida and I've never taken an education class. So that tells you about the quality of education down here and how, how, uh, what, what the standards are for, for hiring teachers is that there are none. Like, can you breathe? Okay. You can come in and be a teacher here. Um, so you could, you could, you know, you come down and get a job, you know, that wouldn't be a problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the grass is, grass is always greener, you know, and, and, um, you know, you, you might find you get down here and, and maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. So, you know, you, you got to do what's right for you and your family, of course. And, and, you know, Florida real estate is, is a hot commodity right now. Uh, kind of makes the idea of selling a home somewhat appealing. Um, but buying a, like buying is, is like, you're going to like, you know, it ain't cheap to buy a, buy a house down here right now. Um, but you know, I guess that's kind of the situation in a lot of places right now. So maybe it's six to one and a half dozen to the other. Um, but just, you know, there's a lot of factors of course, beyond just the winter. Um, you know, and maybe, maybe somewhere in middle ground might be more, even more appealing something in, in the Carolinas or something in Virginia or something like that, where, you know, you won't get the main winter. Um, but you also won't get the endless Florida summer and you'll still get some seasons and, you know, I don't know, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, moving to Florida, like it's, it's a different culture down here a little bit. Um, but again, it's going to be, you know, if you move to Michigan, it's going to be a different culture there than what you have as a Mena, you know, it's, you're going to get the Michigander situation or the Midwest, the Midwest vibe, you know, not exactly the same as the new England vibe. Um, so anywhere that you, that you move is going to be an adjustment and it's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a shock and a bit of a change. Um, but if you like that kind of adventure, then, you know, come on down, come on down. We can always use more northerners in Florida because Lord knows, uh, we got, we got more than a few of those, but, uh, you know, the doors, the doors always open. Welcome. Come on down to the sunshine state. If you end up close by, Hey, we'll go running together and, uh, I'll let you bitch and complain about how hot and humid it is. And I'll just, you know, that's, it's the nature of the beast. It's the nature of the beast. So I uh, hope, hope all that helps a little bit, Sean. If you, if you have any specific questions, uh, I'm happy to answer them. Slide into my DMs or, or shoot me an email, um, and I'll, I'll do my best to, to give you whatever information you're looking for to, to help you kind of get a little bit of a more inside scoop about what life is like, at least living in, in the center of the state. You know, I can't tell you about everywhere in the state, but I can tell you about, you know, it's kind of what I've, what I've seen and observed and thoughts and feelings and, and trying to read tea leaves. Uh, I'm happy to, to help if I can. So thanks for the question, Sean. Uh, next question from Karen. I'm wanting to add speed work once a week, maybe every other week to my training. What are your best workouts for speed work? So Karen, I, I'm going to apologize in advance because my answer is going to sound like a cop out, but that doesn't mean that it's not the right answer. So I, I think that the best speed workout for 90 
99% of runners is the workout that you're going to be able to best execute. Meaning there is no best speed workout. There is no like this, like you, you need to do 800 meters. You need to do Yasso 800s or you need to do mile repeats or some type of, of uh, tempo run or hill repeat. Like all those are fine. All those are good workouts. All those provide benefits. But if there's one or two workouts that you're like mentally and physically best able to execute to the letter, those are the best workouts for you to do. For me, repeats shorter than about 800 meters or shorter. So about a half mile repeat or shorter. Like I can usually lock in pretty good. I can really drop the hammer. I can really push myself, not slack off towards the latter stages of the, of the, you know, if I'm doing six by 800, like I can run all six of them pretty darn good. Put me into to mile repeats. And usually there's a little bit more fading, right? Put me into a tempo run and it's, 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 you know, I, I like to think I'm not half-assing it, but yeah, I kind of am. And so I'm not getting as much benefit out of those, even though they're, 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 may, they're maybe harder for me to do. So you might think that that would be, that'd be good. You get stronger at them. But like, if I'm only doing a, a hard workout once every month, or in your case, once every couple of weeks, you want the most bang for your buck, right? So like I tend to default to the shorter repeats, maybe higher reps, but like I hit them, I hit them hard. I pay for it for the next day, but that's okay. That's part of getting stronger. Um, and, and trust that there's enough carryover because quite honestly, again, for, for the vast majority of us, the Venn diagram of benefits of speed workouts is not an exact circle, but it's pretty close, pretty close. The physiological differences between 400 meter repeats and a tempo run, like they're not exactly the same, but 80% overlap, probably maybe more than that. And if you're getting 80% bang for your buck, like we're, we're good, we're good. Um, especially if you're getting maximum effort, maximum benefit from one and you're only getting, you know, half three quarters of the other. Well, then now, now it tilts the odds even more in the favor of doing those ones that you're, that you're really strong at. So, you know, whatever speed workouts are best for you, maybe if you have a couple different variations that you can, you can adjust just to keep them from getting stale, uh, and, and maybe to have some, some slight differences in the challenges that you're, you're presenting. But if you're going hard, you're strengthening your, your, um, skeletal system, you're, you're strengthening the musculotendinal, uh, you know, junctions and the, the, the tendon strength at the bone where it attaches. Um, you're getting stronger. You're, you're firing up your fast twitch muscles. You're like you're working some of the anaerobic systems. Like you're good, whether that's a tempo run, whether that's, you know, quarter mile repeats, anything in between. So pick the ones that, that you're strong at, that you feel strong at, maybe dabble in some other things once in a while, but for the most part, do the hard ones, do the ones that you can do well, that, that you can really push hard on. And you'll, you'll see an improvement. You'll, you'll see, you'll see a difference over the course of three to six months for sure. All right. But kind of going back to, uh, Leticia's question, Karen, if you're going to add more speed work in, make sure you're also adding a little bit of extra little things. Cause you know, you're, you're pushing your body to the limit on those workouts. Make sure you're giving your body what it needs to recover. So you don't wind up on the shelf potentially like me. Well, I am on the shelf, but potentially because I neglected the little things for too long. So thanks for the question, Karen. Good luck. Have fun. Have fun with your speed workouts. Next question from Sharon ankles. As you know, lately I've been doing more trail running and hiking on trails that are much more technical than what I've been used to. I feel like having strong ankles might help to reduce the risk of sprains and even might help me stay upright. Is this true? And are there exercises that you would recommend that would help build ankle strength? So, um, yeah, 
Sharon, I, I, I think that I'll, I'll agree with that. That that makes that that's, that that's very much true. Um, and, and I think that, 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 that what you probably would benefit from and what, quite frankly, what we all would benefit from, whether we run trails or not is to work on our balance, work on our proprioception, which is kind of like building ankle strength in, in, in a little bit of a twisted way, but not too twisted. Um, because ultimately when we're running, whether we're on technical trails or whether we're on, on the track or the treadmill or a flat road, um, I mean, what running is technically is a series of single leg hops where you're just balancing from one leg to the other from the time you start to the time you finish. So improving your balance, improving your, your proprioception, which is your body's kind of awareness of where it is in space, helps your body to, to make corrections, make sure your foot lands flat on the ground, keeps you moving forwards with, with stability so that your other muscles, so that your hips and your glutes and your, your quads and your hamstrings, um, they can fire to propel you forward as opposed to trying to fire to stabilize everything. So I think that, that what I would encourage you to do is work, work on um, like balance, standing on one foot, um, kind of you know, maybe even closing your eyes and doing it that way, which adds a whole layer of difficulty to it. If you, if you feel like your balance is improving enough to where you can close your eyes, close your eyes, stand on a soft surface, stand on a pillow or a couch cushion or a folded up yoga mat or anything like that, where it's, it's no longer the hard floor. It's a softer surface that increases the level of difficulty. And by, by doing that, you're, you're kind of training your body to, to connect, you know, uh, like your foot, your ankle, just make sure everything's firing in sync with each other. And then when you find yourself out on a trail and your foot hits, hits a root and it starts to roll a little bit, that connection between your, your foot and your brain is like, boom, it like fires and you're more likely to save it instead of twisting your ankle and causing an injury or twisting your ankle and falling over. Like your body will snap before like totally unconsciously. It'll just react. It just happens. And like you might stumble, but you're more likely to stay upright. You're more, more, more likely to salvage it. Um, and hopefully more likely to avoid any type of, of injuries to your ankle or to your ribs or to whatever you've been injuring on the trails. So, um, yeah, building, building less of strength. Although, you know, if you want to do a little bit of, of toe walking and, and some band work with your ankles, that's not going to hurt anything, but more of a balanced proprioception, things like that. I think, I think all of us would benefit from roads, trails, or otherwise, but thank you for the question, Sharon, stay upright. Good luck. Um, and, and, Definitely just start working on, you know, the easiest way to work on balance, I think, while you're brushing your teeth, you stand on one foot for a minute, stand on the other foot for a minute. There's two minutes of brushing your teeth, done and dusted. You do that a couple times a day, maybe mix in a little bit here and there, or you're doing some yoga or you're doing some, some, you know, whatever, while you're cooking, uh, while you're at the stove, waiting for the pot to boil, balance on one foot for 30 seconds or a minute, balance on the other foot for 30 seconds or a minute. And you start mixing that in several times throughout the day. And it, it maybe won't make a noticeable positive difference until the next time you step on a, a rock or a root or something like that, and you go to stumble, but you stay upright and you're like, ah, oh, all that balance work starting to pay off, paying off. So good luck, Sharon. Uh, next question from Ellen. I know you do Peloton bike workouts. Is there one type of workout or class length that you would choose as best for increasing running capacity if you were forced to choose? Um, I mean, not really, not really. I think that for, for me, and, and this is coming with some heart rate bias. So, you know, take it for whatever you think it might be worth. Um, but I think that, that the key is that your, your effort is quote unquote, where you want it to be. So for me as a heart rate guy, um, it's not often that I'm going to get on the bike and really try to hammer, hammer, hammer. 
Uh, because if I'm going to hammer, if I'm going to push my heart rate outside of my, my desired zones, uh, I want that to be during a run workout. Cause I want the, I want the running benefit from it. Not just, uh, like I'm a stronger Peloton cyclist. Like that's not, I don't have any goals towards that. So I'll save my, my hard efforts for the bike or I'm sorry for the road for training runs. But if I'm on the bike and I'm keeping it in the aerobic zone, I mean, I don't know that a hillier, a hillier route or a low intensity ride or, um, you know, a, an interval or, or whatever, um, that stuff doesn't matter for, for me, quite frankly, um, the way I choose my rides is a combination of instructor and playlist. There are certain instructors on Peloton and I'll try not to name too many names here, but it, you know, you could probably figure it out. And I've named some names on social media in the past. There are some instructors that no matter what their playlist is, I am not riding with them. They just, whatever it is, whether it's personality for me, typically they talk too much because I want to listen to the music and they talk over the music, the whole entire ride. So what's the point of ride? Like that doesn't work out. No matter how great your playlist is, if I can't hear the daggum music, I'm not taking your ride. But you know, like I don't mind a little bit of chatter. I don't mind a little bit of a story here or there. Um, but you know, I'm here for, I'm here for the music basically. So, you know, and then there's, there's some folks that like, I'm sure their, their classes are fine. Their, their personalities are fine, but they don't play music that very often that I enjoy. So yeah, I'm not going to take their rides either. Um, and then I've got the handful of, of, uh, instructors that I typically ride with. And it doesn't matter if they're doing a Tabata class or if they're doing an easy ride class or, uh, uh intervals or intervals in arms or whatever. It doesn't matter because nine times out of 10, I'm kind of just doing my own thing. Anyway, I'm just cruising getting my heart rate into a kind of a, you know, 125, 130 range and just, you know, just cruising with it. Uh, maybe I'll follow along with some of the instructions they call out. Probably not. Um, and trust that that's helping me build some fitness, build some, some endurance in a little bit, slightly different way, uh, working my body in a different way, taking some of that wear and tear stress off my, my running muscles and, and hitting my body differently. Um, and, and definitely trusting that it's, it's helping my running fitness going forward. So, um, ultimately like anything, as long as you're having fun with it, that's what matters. Now, you know, if, if you're trying to, to get some more harder, higher intensity stuff, well then maybe like, I don't know that anything would be necessarily better than the other. Um, but probably the, like, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe the longer classes might be a little bit better just cause you're going to get more of an effort. Um, but you know, this is kind of like going back to, to Karen's question about best, um, speed workouts. Like I feel like the overlap, the Venn diagram of various Peloton rides is, is, you know, six and three quarters of one and five and five and two thirds of the other. So like there might be some subtle differences between a, a 45 minute power zone and a, and a 60 minute, you know, intervals class. But for the most part, you're going to get the benefit. You know, you're going to get the majority of the benefit off of either class. So whatever fits your schedule, whatever other, you know, instructor factors, music factors that line up for you, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You know, the best type of cross training is a cross training you do. Uh, so, so don't try to give up the, the, the good for the great by trying to get it all perfect. Just do the cross training, do the Peloton work and you'll get the benefit for it for your running. Okay. Uh, thanks Alan. Great question. Next one from Lewis. What do you think about Adrian Hazlitt, the marathon bombing survivor who runs with an artificial leg running Boston with Shalane Flanagan? Um, I mean, I don't think of it at all. Like quite, quite frankly, like I, it, I think it's, I think it's a great story that she was able to, to come back after the bombing, uh, after losing her leg, run Boston again. I think that's awesome. Um, and I, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I feel like this, and I feel like the story has been so much more about her than it was about Shalane. Uh, 
I, I feel like if if Shalane would have would have in some or or the media or the whatever somehow made it more about Shalane, that would be that would be poor taste. Uh, but I don't feel like I and not that I've looked into it. Like I don't care about elites. I don't care about that type of stuff. It just doesn't interest me at all. Um, but you know, I kind of heard about it while watching the, the the coverage of the marathon, and I was like, all right, well, that's cool. Um, but it's to me, it's just all about it's all about the late Adrian that was able to to come back, recover from the bombing, run the marathon again. Awesome, two thumbs up. Um, the fact that Shalane ran it as her guide, that's cool. That's cool. Um, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't think about it. I don't care. I think it's a cool story. I think there were probably 20,000 cool stories in the Boston Marathon this year. That's one that that made the cut. because Probably because of Shalane, and be, but, but probably duly because of Shalane and because of the story of, of Adrian getting injured during the marathon, during the bombing, um, losing a like, like that's, that's That's the story. That Shalane was running there with her, by her side, supporting her. That's cool. But, you know, that's... That's maybe the icing on the cake. The real story is Adrian. I think it's awesome. Glad she was, she survived. Glad she's able to run. Um, and you know, good on Shalane for for not putting the spotlight on her for for being by her side. But I'm not thinking about it. You know. <laughs> okay, moving on, moving on. Uh, but hopefully that that isn't a disappointing answer for you, Lewis. But I feel like I feel like you've you've asked a few questions about elites over the over the the years, and like I don't care about the elites, quite frankly. Uh, but I'll always take your questions, and I'll always kind of tell you that yeah, I don't really care. I don't have an opinion on the topic, uh, but keep them keep them coming, my friend, and and keep on with the five Ks every weekend. I always know you're going to reply to my uh, weekend accountability post with a, with a couple of five Ks, and uh, glad things are going well for you. Obviously, appreciate the question and. Uh, you know, have a, have a good one. We'll see you. We'll see you for your next question. And we'll see you in the, in the Instagram DMS with your uh, weekend plans. Uh, probably, probably later today or maybe yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this, but it goes out on Friday. So I'm sure I'll, I'll have a, a DM from you later this evening, but uh, thank you, my friend. Next question from Kelly. So, uh, you've stated that you are not a one run and wash kind of runner, but is there a clear time to wash? Is there a system to this madness? A sniff test? When? Your clothes are visibly white with sweat every third use. Um, yeah, so apparently, apparently, some of you pay attention to some of the nonsense things that I talk about, um, which I feel like I need to be careful because that—that's the type of stuff that gets me in trouble. But yeah, I, you know, if, if cleanliness is next to godliness, then then we are not next to God uh, in any in any in any form or fashion around these parts. Uh, but there's really no no method to my madness. Um, the, the loose rule of thumb is that, you know, like I'll wear the same, the same shorts for like a week. Um, you know, bring them out fresh on a Monday, wear them through Saturday, through my long run, then probably throw them in the wash on, on Saturday. Um, and I've got like, you know, a couple pairs of shorts in the rotation. So usually it's somewhere in that two week window, the laundry will get done and then I'll, you know, have another clean pair for the next Monday. So that's kind of the, the, the loose system. But you know, if I get to a, a, a Monday, and there hasn't been laundry done over the weekend for one reason or another. Uh, well, then you know, up, up, up again, up again. Uh, keep them rolling. You know, and maybe get into to week two. Uh, hopefully, we were doing laundry at some point that week. But if not, then you know, we'll go two weeks with it. You know, whatever. Um, you know, kind of mentioned earlier about my my sense of smell not being exactly keen. So you know, the smell test for me, yeah, yeah we're good. We're good. Uh, I guess if it gets bad enough where Rebecca can smell them. Um, cause her nose works. So then maybe, maybe they get thrown in the wash. Um, but you know, as long as I've got, 
I'm more concerned about having shorts to run in than I am about what they smell like. So, you know, as long as I've got a pair of shorts, we're good. If not, if they get really bad, which I don't know that they've ever gotten bad enough for me, but like, you know, eventually we're going to do laundry, right? So, you know, or, or we need to wash towels or we need to wash the sheets or something. And so I can always throw them in with, with some other, other thing that's getting washed and then we're good to go. Or in a perfect world, you know, we get to, to day four, day five, and then we run in a downpour. Well, there we go. Laundry's done. Thanks to, uh, you know, cleanliness. Godly, apparently God decided that I needed to become more godly and gave me some, some free cleanliness, washing the body, washing the shorts, two birds, one stone. Everybody, everybody wins in that scenario. Don't need to wash my shorts for another week because uh, they got washed while I was running. Can't, you can't beat efficiency like that. <laughs> Next question, also from Kelly. Um, let's see here. Where was I? There we are. You forgot to lube up. Okay, we, got a, we got a hypothetical scenario here that we're working through. You forgot to lube up with anti-chafe before your race and realize it shortly before the start. Do you have extra in your car and just lube up without care? Substitute with a chapstick and hope that it works and maybe regret that spicy mint medicated style a little bit later. Do you borrow from someone else? Do you go without and just chafe away? Um, well, Kelly, without getting into too much detail, there's really only one place that I occasionally chafe. And uh, let's just say it's not, it's not the family-friendly location. It's, it's kind of in the, uh, the sun don't shine area. Um, but I very rarely lube up pre-run, uh, really only before like an ultra because it feels like it, it feels, it feels uncomfortable when the chafing starts to happen there. Um, but, but it, 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 like, I don't really notice any chafing short of maybe like 20 miles. And I don't even usually notice it in the moment, but it's afterwards, which is always when the, uh, the chafe alarm goes off when you get in the shower and that warm soapy water starts getting into places and you're like, whoo, 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 whoo. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so if, if I forget to chafe before, or I'm sorry, if I forget to, to lube before a marathon or an ultra, um, yeah, I mean, if, if there's something like, I pro- if I forget, I probably don't have any extra in the car. Unlike extra running shoes, which I always keep for that, that, that occasion that I might forget to actually wear my shoes to the race or well, I'm always going to forget. I'm going to purposely forget to wear my shoes to the, to the race, but I may forget to actually bring the shoes I wanted for the race. So I've always got shoes to, to cover up for that. Uh, but, but I don't have like any type of sprays or, or skin lubes or anything like that in the car. Um, so then, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to look around and, and hope that I might find something, uh, you know, hopefully maybe the, an aid station has something or, or whatever that, that they've got for the race. Uh, see if I can't, you know, steal a smear and, and, uh, you know, somewhat discreetly get it where it needs to go. Um, but otherwise, otherwise I'll just go without and, uh, you know, know that I'll probably regret this decision later, but you know, eh, whatever is, is what it is. Been there before, done that before and not for nothing, but I've got a killer balm for post, uh, chafe kind of healing ointment. Um, that also makes you go, whoo, 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 whoo when you get it into the most sensitive of areas uh, and you've got some, some raw exposed skin. Uh, but that stuff works. Stuff works. I can't remember what it's called, but if you're, if you're curious on the best anti-chafe stuff, especially for the most sensitive areas of the body, uh, let me know. And I will give you the 411 on, I think it's like the blue, blue star ointment, maybe something like that. 
Uh, good stuff. Good stuff comes highly recommended from Mike Rowe himself. I heard him talk about it on a podcast. Figured, hey, you know, let me get, let me get, uh, let me get, get one of these. And I, I put a little, I put a little schmear on my chafe area after every shower, which also isn't necessarily every every day, but you know that happens on occasion, uh, and that makes that makes a big difference, a big difference, especially uh, in summer running when the chafe is just a little bit, a little bit more of a factor. So there you go, Kelly. Hope that hope that helps. Pretty sure it was it bordered on the, the too much information category, but hey, you know, you ask, I answer. You, you get what you get, and you don't pitch a fit. So thank you for the question, m'lady. Next question from Chris Short, fresh off his Boston marathon experience. Let's just say you got COVID. Sorry about that, buddy. That's that sucks. Uh, let's just say you got COVID and then you lose your sense of taste. Then would you eat a Cadbury egg? No, of course not. Wait, you, you crazy? Um. No, and because, as I've mentioned once or twice this episode and multiple times in the past, my sense of smell is iffy at best, which kind of makes me think my sense of taste is also probably iffy at best. Um, but I'm a texture guy. I'm a texture guy when it comes to eating, and whether I can taste the, the, the nastiness of a COVID egg or a, a COVID egg, yeah, whether I can taste the nastiness of a Cadbury egg or not, when I bite into that chocolate and that abomination of meh inside of it comes oozing out, that's the problem. That's the problem. So yeah, I'm not eating your bloody Cadbury eggs. You, you can you can take those Cadbury eggs and and choke them down when you can't taste them, and maybe it's better. I'm gonna argue, still an abomination, still terrible. No, thank you. Hope you're feeling better soon, my friend. Next question from Melody. I don't carb load before a race ever. I just eat sensibly and normally. However, I'm sure some runners do. What is the proper way to carb load before a race if there is such a thing? So whew, this this could be a whole a whole Q, QT, not QT episode all in and of itself. And maybe it will be because you asked like three questions on it, Melody. And, and I, I don't know that this is, that I'll, that I'll flesh out anything that makes sense here. But I feel like, you know, like I am not a carb loader. I, I feel like the, the research has kind of shown that it's not, all it's cracked up to be or all that we used to think it was, but some people still swear by it. I mean, I saw, I saw some nonsense on, so like, and I, I wanted to comment and I was just like, there's no reason to don't do it. Uh, but somebody on Instagram was like, yeah, you should take in like 500 grams of carbs per day in the, like the three or four days leading up to a marathon. And I was like, that's, that's absurd. But if it works for you, Hey, rock on. And, and ultimately that's what it comes down to. Like, like what works for you? You know, if you, if you, if you carb load and then you feel like shit the next day, well, that's not going to be good right? Like that doesn't, that doesn't help anybody. Um, but if, if you do it and it works for you, then, then keep on keeping on. So, you know, maybe, maybe you want to play with it. Maybe you want to play with different types of, of, you know, whether it's, it's more starchy stuff, whether it's more, um, you know, whole grains, whether it's, it's a combination, um, fruits and veggies and, and potatoes, like play with it. Um, I think that, that in, as a general rule, the best option is to up your carb intake, for like a week, but like up it sensibly and just, and just kind of trust that it, it, you're topping it off. But ultimately you got to think about physiology here, right? And the physiology is that you can store a certain amount of carbohydrate in your, in your liver is glycogen and your blood is glucose. Um, and outside of that, well, then you just, it just turns into body fat, right? Like that's how our body stores extra calories. And especially you take in extra carbs, it releases insulin, it produce, takes the, the, the blood sugar out of your, out of your blood, stores it as fat for, for future use. Um, so like if you're, if you're 
liver is already pretty full, which during a taper period it probably is because you're probably not hammering too much. Like, there's no real, re- there's no real immediate benefit other than you're going to store more body fat, which probably isn't the goal. Um, especially because if you're a high carb burner, you're probably not super efficient at burning body fat for fuel during a race. So having more body fat stored carbs as body fat, probably not helpful. Um, and that's to me where the whole carb loading thing just kind of falls apart, let alone the fact that it can cause all kinds of GI issues. But like, think about the physiology, think about what's actually happening. Like not, I don't, I'm, I'm biased. I admit it. I'm a, I'm a low, low carb guy. Uh, it works great for me. And when I say low carb, it doesn't mean no carb. It doesn't mean I don't have any carbs. It doesn't mean I don't even pseudo carb load before a race, but my, like my carb loading before a race is a couple of things of yogurt and maybe some fruit, right? Like, like, like not exactly hundreds of carbs of pasta, but that, that works for me. So the, the proper way to carb load is what works for you. My advice, if you're trying to kind of figure that out, is just up your carb intake a little bit every day for five or six days leading up to the race. Um, but there's no reason to just go overboard because then you're just storing it as body fat and that's probably not going to help you on race day. So hope that makes a little bit of sense. Next question from Melody. Speaking of carbs, let's talk about how to get the energy for running, racing. If you are no carb, low carb, uh, because you're diabetic. I know you're not a, a nutritionist or diabetic, but you have some experience with low carb fueling. Yes, I do. Um, and kind of like what I, what I was getting into before, like, like the trick to, to running with, with not a lot of carb intake is that you got to get your body accustomed to burning body fat for fuel. And that's just a process. It just takes time. And, and not coincidentally for me, as I kind of got into this was also the same time that I really got into heart rate training, because when you're running easy, when you're keeping your heart rate down, that's when your body is most able to, to utilize stored body fat for fuel. Once you take your heart rate above a certain level, once you start pushing the effort, like that process of breaking down fats for fuel is a labor intensive process for your body. So it shuts it down. It just turns to the, to the sugar, to the blood sugar, to the stored glycogen in your liver, because that's quick. That's accessible. That's easy to burn. Problem is it burns out quick. And now you run out of, out of gas after a couple hours usually. And, and that's when you got to supplement. So by, by slowing down and training your body to really get, get never, you know, I'm never going to be a hundred percent body fat burner. Nobody really is. All right. But if you can go from 95% carb and 5% fat to like, I don't know, 75% fat or 75% carb and only 25% fat, like think about what that can do for you. And if you can just continue to, to, to chip away at that ratio. And I don't, I don't like, it's not something that you're going to test very often. You can test it in a lab, but that's a pain in the pain in the took. You're not going to, I'm not going to do that. All right. Um, I have no idea what my ratios are. But what I can tell you is I can go out and run for hours and having a little bit of carb is helpful. You know, I, I take some tailwind during a run, especially during a race. I mean, not so much during a run during a race. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I hit the aid station. Absolutely. Pop some, some, some candies or some chips or something like that. Absolutely. And those are all carbs, right? I don't necessarily need them, but my system is, is ready to utilize them. So we, we use them. No problem. Um, but I don't ever have to worry about running out of body fat because quite frankly, I don't, you know, even the skinny, you know, even you watch the, the, the folks, the, the, the guys that the men and the women that, that were, you know, racing for the elites at, at Boston marathon, none of them, a lot of them have a whole lot of body fat to spare, right? Well, they've got, they've got days worth of fuel 
that they can access, you know, from internal stored body fat, right? So like, you know, you're not gonna have to worry about running out of fuel over the course of a four hour race, five hour race, six hour race. If you're relatively efficient at burning body fat, which is why, which is why I am a proponent of it. Again, I get, it doesn't work for everybody. You may not like it. You may not want to do it. That's cool. But you know, if if you're going to, you know, get the energy that you need for running and racing and by learning that you're diabetic, having to, to decrease the amount of, or, or wanting to decrease the amount of carbs that you're taking in on a regular basis, like your body will figure it out. You just got to work with your body by trying to keep your runs relatively easy, keep them low intense as your body figures out how to burn that, that body fat for fuel. And then during a run, and especially during a race, if you're pushing the pace, guess what? You can probably take some carbs in, some simple carbs in, and it's not really going to spike your blood sugar at all because your body's ready to use it right now for the task at hand and you use it and it's no factor. So, you know, that's something that you can play with as you go, but you know, it's just a process. You got to train your body to burn, burn fats for fuel instead of burning carbs for fuel. And your body will figure it out. Your body will figure it out. Our bodies are amazingly adaptable, amazingly adaptable. You just got to give it some time, be patient, trust the process and it'll get there. It'll get there. Um, last question from Melody. That's maybe not, that's like a, a, par- a six paragraphs of questions, but we'll, we'll work through it. We'll work through it, dear. Don't worry. I was thinking about this and I'm generally curious. Sometimes people have GI issues during a hard race. I now understand this to be due to the body sending blood to other parts for recovery. Digestion is the last thing the body is worried about. Um, but, but sometimes that can make you feel really sick. You're already low on energy and now you can't refuel your body. Isn't this what your body needs to recover? I'm not saying eat a huge meal afterwards, but does tapering contribute? You're in the rest mode while you're eating normally, but then you run this huge race when your body is ready because it's well rested. Your stomach says, what the heck? Uh, we are fueling and not running. And I get, and I got used to that. And now you throw this race at me. Hopefully my questions make sense. This is more, or if this is more of a QT thing, then I can wait to hear your response. So I think there were some questions that made sense and maybe some I'm not, not quite following, but like, like I said, our bodies are, are ridiculously complicated. They're ridiculously adaptive. And, and yeah, you know, depending on, on what is going on at the moment, your body diverts the energy and diverts the blood flow to certain parts of the body and takes them away from other parts of the body where it's not as necessary right now. During a race, digestion is not typically the number one priority. That's why, that's why you, if you're going to fuel during a race, you want, you want stuff that's easily digestible because you don't want the body to work hard, right? Because you're trying to hammer, especially for like a hard road race. You know, you start getting to these longer ultras where, where the effort is, is more moderate, but it's sustained obviously over 12, 14, 18, 20 hours. Like that's where you need to eat real food. Cause you need good calories coming in. You need, you need ample calories coming in, um, to, to keep yourself going. But you know, in this, in this situation, you're, you're hammering, you're pushing hard. The body doesn't want to do a lot of, of, you know, digesting. So it's cause it's sending the blood to the body, to the, to the legs, to the, to the skin, to, to sweat, to keep you cool. Um, and some people, once they finish their race, that that's like their body kind of comes back to baseline pretty quickly. You know, you don't need to get the blood to the, to the, to the tissues as much and you're ready to eat. Some people, it takes a little bit longer. This is one of those to me where it's just, it's, it's, it's don't overthink it. No one size fits all. Like I hate all that. Well, you got to have, you got to have 47 grams of protein and six grams of fat and 37 grams of carbs within, within a, that, that 37 to 46 minute window after you're run. like, what? Come on. Like, like I have such a problem with that type of type of nonsense. Like, is that the optimal window? across the board when you average it all out. I mean, sure. But okay. Maybe, but like, 
what do you what do you think we did before we had exercise science to tell us that when you were chasing a, a gazelle across the savanna, that like if you didn't if you didn't you know refuel with the latest and greatest exactly twenty six minutes after you slaughtered this this gazelle, like you weren't going to recover properly. Come on, man. Uh, so if you know if if you're ready to eat right after a, a big hard race, and you can you know eat and not feel lousy afterwards and not have any type of GI issues. Cool. If you need a few hours, six hours, if you need it kind of till the next day until you're really feeling hungry enough to eat. Cool. Like, guess what? Our, like, we're not going to outsmart our bodies, right? Like, like trust your body. Like how often do I, do I talk about, listen to your body? And I know it's not easy. And I know that there's, there's other factors at play, but like, if you're trying to eat after a race and your body is not having it, like don't try to outsmart your body. Listen to your body. You know, will it help your recovery to get something in? I mean, probably, but again, like our bodies have been doing this a lot longer than like exercise science has been around. Right. So don't overthink it. If you're not hungry or you're eating and you're feeling nauseous or you eat just, you know, if, if you're looking at, if, if you're looking at the calories, or you're looking at the, the, you're like, I just ran this epic race and burned 2000 calories on top of my normal 2000 calories. And like, all I'm hungry for is, is 700 calories. Like, okay. You'll probably be hungry for like 8,000 calories tomorrow. So eat 8,000 calories tomorrow. It'll all come out in the wash. Right. Um, don't overthink it. Listen to your body. Trust what your body's saying. Um, and, and yeah, like, like when your stomach's ready to take in the food, your body will put the, the, the calories and the energy to use, right? It, like your body, your body, your body's got you. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. So hopefully that somewhat helps to answer your questions. Melody at least gives you some, some, some food for thought. Ha <laughs> See what I did there. Um, and, and obviously if you have more specific questions, let me know. And, and maybe there is a good QT in there that we can, that we can flesh out in the coming months. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Last question from Melody. Last and most, impo- and most important question. Why does my little dog sleep in the big dog bed and my big dog sleep in the little dog bed? Are my dogs just kind of dumb? And she posts a picture of the big dog and the li- like falling off the little bed and the little dog happily curled up in the middle of the bed with ample space on either side of it. Um, no, I mean, your dogs aren't dumb. Like, the, you know, like sometimes, sometimes you like a little extra space. Sometimes you like it nice and cozy. Um, apparently you should have just said that the big dog bed was for the little dog and the little dog bed was for the big dog and they'd all be happy. Right. And everything would be hunky dory. Um, I would make the argument that like little dogs are, eh, you know, whatever, like, like I'm, I have a, I have a strong anti, a strong, not anti, but a strong little dog bias. Um, but Hey, you know, whatever you, you got your dogs, you like your dogs. I, I like my dogs a little bit bigger. I'll take your big dog. Uh, I've had enough, be- I've, I've had enough beagles in my life that I don't need anymore anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, just let, let sleeping dogs lie, Melody. Ha ha! I wasn't sure where I was going to go with that one, but I'm glad, I, I'm glad I got there. I got there in the end. I got to the sleeping dogs lie joke, talking about dogs sleeping and lying. You know what? These things don't always work themselves out in the right way, but that, that time, I think, I think we got it right. I think we got it right. But thank you for the questions, Melody, and hope, uh, hope everybody's feeling better ASAP. Next couple of questions from Jackie. First one. Best way to tackle a hill when racing. I was feeling awesome on my last half marathon at mile six. I went up a tough hill quickly, kind of a little bit more on my toes, no glutes, quads seem spent at the top. I feel like I couldn't get my mojo back and didn't finish strong. I'm wondering if it was how I attacked the hill. 
Um, I mean, it could be Jackie. It could just be that sometimes hills in the middle of the race suck, you know, like, like it, it could be that simple. Um, I think for me, and, and as is often the case, I mean, here we go. Another, another, not one size fits all answer. But for me, what works best when I have a hill in the middle of a race is to, to not try to push it up early, grind early, you know, kind of settle in. I mean, you know, I'm trying not to like slow way down, depending on the, 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 length and severity of the hill, of course, but like, I'm going to try to keep, keep moving. But that's, that's the grind part is the first, like maybe three quarters of the hill why I am trying to engage my glutes, why I am trying to just kind of push, not stay up on my toes, but just, just, you know, downshift grind up. And then when I get to that point where the, the top of the hill is in sight, that's when I'm going to maybe attack it a little bit more where I'm going to really try to get after it. Maybe not a full sprint by any stretch, depending on the distance of the race, like all those variables, but like, like an intelligent level of exertion to get to the top. Because once they, once I get to the top, I'm comfortable running downhill, right? And this is especially, this is like the right strategy for me when I know that there's a downhill on the other side, right? Last thing I want is to get to the top and then have it flatten out or have it be a false top, you know, and then I got to go back up again. But if I know that this is the top of the hill and I'm going to start coming down for at least, at least a little bit of time on the downward downhill afterwards, like I'll, I'll try to hammer up that last little bit, maybe the last hundred yards or so of the hill, because I know I can catch my breath on the downhill while still maintaining a really good pace. Maybe even running fast, right? Maybe running faster than goal pace on the downhill because I'm comfortable running downhill. So I can just relax. I can open it up. I can, I can, I can go while I'm also catching my breath, bringing my heart rate down, ready to settle back in for the, the rest of the race. So that's what works for me, but it, it depends on the hill. It depends on the location. Um, but I think that, that as a general rule, we can get ourselves in trouble by being too aggressive at the bottom of a hill. Um, better off maybe saving a little bit of extra gas in the tank for the top and then, and cresting over it. Um, then to, then to burn it all out too early. And, and maybe, maybe that was what contributed to the last half of your, your half marathon being a little bit more of a, of a struggle. But I mean, hills just, hills are just no fun. Whether you train on hills all the time, whether you live in Florida and you never train on hills, which, which Sean, maybe there's another reason to move to Florida. You don't have to worry about hills down here. Um, but, uh, not, a, not a whole lot of fun when a hill comes in the middle of the race. Although I would argue better than at like mile 12 of a half marathon to have it at mile six, uh, maybe better. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's better to have it late. Cause then you can just push and not have to worry about holding on too much longer. I don't know. Tomato, tomato. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just, there's no right way. Um, there's, there's potentially no wrong way. There's just, you just got to get over that daggum thing and, and try to keep it moving afterwards. But yeah, I think, I think you, you got the, maybe the, 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 the gist of it when you said no glutes, like that's the key. You got to get those, you, you know, like we need our glutes firing any time we're running, but especially going up the hill, we can get our glutes going more. Uh, that's going to help take the stress off of other parts of the body. And the glutes are, are going to be able to keep firing for a long time. So you can, you, you know, you can kind of ride, ride it out after that. If you get, if you get your glutes going, uh, they'll keep going. So maybe that's, maybe that's the area to focus on flat or hills, get the glutes going and see if that doesn't make a difference for you. Next question also from Jackie is a good idea to shift from shift to more liquid fueling in the summer versus my typical gels or gummies. Uh, Jackie, I would make the argument that it's a good idea to shift away from gels any, any time of year, liquids, gummies, solids, gases, whatever, like you know me, you know, I'm not going to be a, a gel guy, but if gels work for you, Hey, by all means, whatever, keep on keeping on. Um, but I get you, I get your logic, right? Like if, if you can, it, in the summertime, heat, humidity, dehydration, potential issues, you're sweating more, you need to replace more fluids. So does it make more sense to, to shift to, you know, liquid fluid, fluids, liquid fluids, liquids are fluids, Diz. uh, liquid fueling 
because that might be a, a better, um, you know, two birds in one stone type of, of scenario. I like the logic. I get what you're going at. Um, yes, in theory. However, the, the key is, is that you're making sure that, that the liquid that you're taking in has enough fuel for you. Meaning it's, it's easy to think you, Oh, I'm taking in all the fuel I need. And, and you know, as, as far as some type of Gatorade, Powerade, tailwind, whatever. Um, but if the concentration of, of fuel isn't enough, you know, if you're not taking enough calories in, then that could come back to haunt you. So yeah, I don't know what the numbers are of different drinks and different, different products, whatever, but let's say, let's say you would normally take in a gel that has a hundred calories in it and then you, you chase it with some water. All right. So that, that makes sense. Um, but now you're like, well, God, it's summer. Like I might need a little bit more fluid. Like that makes sense. But now you're taking in, you know, your, your, your concentration of fluid or the amount of fluids you're drinking only has 60 calories in it. So you might be getting the hydration piece taken care of, but the fueling is less than what you would normally need. So maybe you run a, a more of a risk of falling out of uh, run out of gas later on because you're relying on that fuel. So as long as you're, you're taking in enough calories or enough, enough carbs or enough, whatever, you know, metric that you use to, to, are we taking enough fuel? Um, then yeah, then that makes all the sense in the world. If, if you can't handle a more concentrated liquid, you know, if you, if you like your, your, whatever, your, your, your drink of choice, more watered down, um, you don't like a strong flavor. That means you're not getting enough calories in. Well, then you might have a problem. So kind of look at, at least take a look at those things and make sure that, that they're lined up, that you're taking in not only enough liquids, but also enough calories. And then, and then, yeah, in theory, if all things being equal, then the liquid makes sense, you know, less, less stress on the stomach, easier to digest quicker to absorb, but you just got to make sure you get enough. Right. So hope all that makes sense. Uh, thank you for the questions, Milady. Last one from Jackie. Uh, I'm thinking about doing a beach sprint triathlon in June, 500 meter ocean swim. This doesn't make me nervous. I don't swim when I train, but I'm really comfortable in the water. And I know I can average, I can be an average finisher. Six miles on the bike, three miles on the run. The biking has me nervous though, because you might remember my podcast interview. I biked the leg of a, of a team triathlon and I was on my beach cruiser and it was well, a beach cruiser. I feel fit as a runner and I'm doing brick workouts on the bike, but it will still be on a beach cruiser. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think if you want to do it, do it, have fun with it. Like, yeah, it'll be a beach cruiser and it won't be, you know, this sleek aerodynamic machine that you can think about half pedaling and it it goes from zero to 30 miles an hour and a half of a pedal. Like it's not going to be that, but you know that going in, you know, if, if you don't want to invest a couple thousand dollars into a fancy, a fancy road bike, you know, because you're not going to be this, this super regular triathlete. Um, and you like having your beach cruiser and like, Hey, like, that's just the bike I've got. Like, go for it. Go for it. Who cares? Who cares what everybody else is thinking or doing or whatever? Like you like make it about having fun, competing, enjoying yourself. Um, and then you can always tell every, like everybody that you beat, you can be like, yeah, I beat you. And I rode a freaking beach cruiser. You know, if, if, if anybody wants to talk smack about your bike well, well, yeah, you know, you beat me by, you beat me by 40 seconds, but I rode a beach cruiser. Like I would have crushed you if I had a decent bike. Um, but I mean, ultimately, you know, like have fun with it, enjoy it, laugh about it. Um, you know, nobody's going to really care that much. Um, as long as you don't care that much. Right. So, uh, I say go for it if you want to. Um, and don't worry about what kind of bike you have. Like that's the bike you have. Okay. Done. Right. Uh, easier said than done maybe for me because I'm not going to do 500 meters swim in the ocean. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll cruise on a beach cruiser and not worry too much about it. So 
Go for it. Have fun. Enjoy it. Uh, can't wait to hear how it goes. Next few questions. We got a hat trick of questions from my man, GJC, Gary Joe Collins, asking the first question, easy strength building routine for runners, but not wanting to add bulk. Any suggestions? Um, yeah, my friend, and, and this one, please don't take this the wrong way, but don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. When it comes to strength training, um, the fact of the matter is you're not going to add a lot of bulk by accident, right? Maybe, maybe, but really then even probably not, but maybe if you're like a 20 year old dude with just testosterone, just flowing through your body, um, to where, when you look at some weights, you get a little bit stronger, maybe you might pack on a little bit of muscle mass from doing a regular strength routine. Are you going to pack on, are you going to pack on massive bulk by accident? Even when you're a 20 year old dude with all the testosterone in the world? No. Right? Like the, the way you lift, what you eat, how much you eat, all those things are very important factors to, to really packing on the bulk. And you know, unless you're trying to eat all the things all the time and lift all the weights all the time, you're not going to get bulky. Okay. So that said, Gary Joe, the, the best strength training routine for runners is the same as like just the best strength training. Like, I don't want to say it's the same as the best. It's just go back to the basics, right? Squats, lunges, hip hinges. So think like deadlifts or, or things like that, where you're, where you're bending forward and using your glutes and your hamstrings and your lower back to stand back up, uh, pushups, pull-ups, planks, things like that are perfect. Get some type of routine, maybe a little bit of variation between those type of exercises a couple times a week. You'll get stronger. Your muscle endurance will improve. You won't add a bunch of a bulk. You can lift them heavy. You can do body weight combination of both. Um, there's pros and cons of both. As is often the case, I'll argue that something better than nothing. So trying to make it perfect, you know, don't, don't let great be the enemy of good or good, the enemy of great or whatever, like do some strength work, do some pushups, do some, some wall sits or some, some, um, you know, body weight squats or some lunges, things like that. It'll make a difference and you won't bulk up. Do that same type of stuff with, with some heavy resistance, with some dumbbells, with the barbell. If you go to the gym, whatever, you'll get stronger. You won't bulk up. All right. So don't, don't overthink it. My friend do the work. You're not going to turn it into no offense, no offense. You know, I love you. You're not going to turn into freaking Mr. Universe because you, you lifted weights a couple times a week. All right. Which doesn't sound like it's your goal. So that shouldn't be a problem. That shouldn't be a problem. Uh, but it won't be a problem. I promise you do some strength work. Don't overthink it. 15, 20 minutes a week, a couple times a week, plenty more the merrier, but that's plenty. And it will make a difference. It will make a difference. Second question from Gary Joe. How long after a good run should a person stretch? Um, again, this is one of those where it's easy to be like, oh, you should stretch for 10 minutes. You should stretch for 15 minutes. Something better than nothing, right? Three minutes is better than zero minutes. Now is three minutes ideal. I mean, probably not. Uh, but you're probably more like, it's probably a better question. If, if I may be so bold as to tell you that your question is not good, Gary Joe. Um, (laughs) the better question would be, what should I stretch instead of how long, um, I'm, I'm becoming more inclined to think that stretching your quads and your hip flexors. So the front of your thighs and your calves are the most important things. I think most of us, myself included default to kind of bending forward, stretching the hamstrings. I don't think that's as necessary. Um, and I won't bore you with all the the physiology because it quite frankly, I'm not entirely sure I understand all the physiology right now, uh, the, and the biomechanics and the kinesiology, but, but I'm starting to see some evidence that says that maybe that's maybe the quads and hip flexors and the calves 
are the areas that really we would benefit most from stretching and loosening up. So if you can get, you know, a couple minutes on each quad, a couple minutes on each calf. So we're looking at four to eight minutes, something like that. Um, that would be ideal. Now, if you want to mix in a little bit of hamstring, a little bit of glute, a little bit of this and that and the other, like, cool, whatever, more the merrier. Uh, but if you can get that done post run, like that would be great. Do I get that done post run? No. So do as I say, not as I do. Last question from Gary Joe. Uh, finally, at least one layup question out of the three. Is there a candy better than Reese's peanut butter cups? No, <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? Not even nothing, even close. Nothing even close. Well, one thing might come close and that would be a Snickers. Uh, Snickers do satisfy. Uh, Snickers are good. I would, uh, I'll, I'll take that back. Mounds. Mounds are also sneakily good. Neither the Snickers nor the Mounds are as good as a Reese's peanut butter cup. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But there's a time and a place for a good dark chocolate Mounds. There is definitely a time and a place for all that, that sweet coconut inside. Mm, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. And of course, you know, the, 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 the chocolate and the peanuts and the caramel. And it, yes, it's caramel, not caramel. Get out of here with your caramel. With your chocolate, your peanuts, your caramel of the Snickers. That's good too. That's good too. So those, those are the two that come closest, but you know, we're talking, you know, for a sports metaphor that you will understand Gary Joe, um, you know, we're talking Tiger Woods in his prime and the field, you know, like, like Reese's or Tiger Woods circa 2004, 2008. Um, when like the, the one time that I would say that the smart money probably was to take Tiger versus the field, um, or in in that range, you know, like that's the Reese's and everything else is, is one, like, you know, the Snickers is, is Phil, uh, you know, the, the, the mounds is, is, is who David Duvall, um, Justin Leonard, like they're good, but like, come on, they're not beating tiger. Like, you know, so that's, that's where I'll go. Uh, when it comes to candies that are close to Reese's, there's nothing close. Snickers and mounds are the leaders of the, 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 the trailing pack, but they're, they're back. They're back a long way, a long, long way. But thank you for my que- for the questions, my friend. I hope I hope you're well. Hope things are good up in Kentucky, and uh, take care of yourself. Right? Thanks for thanks for dropping in to the old Instagram DMs with some questions. Another one from Kelly. She's back on the map after asking a couple questions earlier. Uh, sore trapezius is after a long run. I'm not sure if that's the correct pluralization, but hey, we'll work with it. Uh, after a longer, uh, I'm sorry, but the longer the run, the tighter my traps get, especially when I use a pack to carry water. I use an orange one pack that is, is better than some of the other versions of water carriers I've used. But besides trying to relax and keep my shoulders from climbing up to my ears, are there anything else I can do? Or is there anything else I can do to help before, during, and, or after? So what can I do to help relax my traps, strengthen them, etc.? cetera? Uh, great question. And something that, um, I think you're on to some of the right suggestions, you know, trying to keep your shoulders down, trying to, to just stay in that relaxed posture. Um, I would first of all, try to play with the, the, you know, the straps and how the pack sits a little bit. Um, I don't use, you mentioned here that your orange mud pack is one of the bladder packs. I only have the water bottle packs from orange mud. Um, and I know they sit kind of high and, and at least the, the, the packs that I have, there's not a lot of adjustment that you can do to them. Like you're going to adjust them enough so that they're snug, right? You don't want to bounce it all over the place. Um, and so there's only so much play that you can have, but I would just try, see if you can, if you can loosen up a little bit, maybe under the arms, maybe across the chest, uh, to where it's still snug, but maybe it allows your, your arms to relax a little bit more, or your shoulders to relax a little bit more in case the, the pack itself is kind of helping to pull you forward. 
Um, so you, you know, try to, try to play with that a little bit. Um, otherwise I think that, that, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, keeping, trying to work on keeping your shoulders back, um, is helpful. Um, but I think that, that ultimately it's, it's, you know, upper back strength can always be helpful if you can do some, um, some type of rowing or some type of pull-ups or, or things like that, where you're working some of the upper back muscles, your, especially not, not, not specifically your traps, but like your rhomboids, your lats, things like that. Some of the other muscles in your upper back that will help take some of the pressure off. Um, and then the other thing that potentially could be a problem or could t- potentially could be an area that might need a little bit of work would be core strength and stability. Because if, if, you know, you're wearing your pack, right. And it's, it's makes you slightly more top heavy than you would be normally, right. You, you add whatever it is, 50 ounces of, of liquid and this pack on your back. That's, that's an extra 50 ounces, which just shifts your, your, your center of gravity a little bit, brings it up just a little bit higher. And if you're, if your core strength is lacking, and I don't know that it is, but if it, if it is, if you could, if you could stabilize your core a little bit more, that I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, ultimately I'm going to get to the right place, but like you, you, when you elevate that center of gravity a little bit, it just changes the balance points, right. Of, of your body. So if your core isn't as strong as it could be, that, that extra top heaviness due to the pack could, could be causing some of your upper body muscles, your upper back muscles, your traps to tighten up, to try to stabilize more, to try to keep things a little bit more stable while you're running. If your core is better able to take care of that, it may emphasis on may, it may help your traps and your upper back to relax a little bit more. So that could be something that could help. Um, you know, you might could use like some type of, of like foam rolling of your upper back, get a massage ball against a wall and kind of lean back and just kind of work on your traps and your, and your lats, especially after you run to just kind of loosen up some of those muscles a little bit. Um, and it might just be something that your body just kind of has to, to, to kind of get used to, especially if this is a newer issue, you know, if this is something that's kind of just come up recently, getting into the summer months where you need to take some water with you, you're running longer. So you're definitely taking water with you. And as you, as you kind of, you know, get into the, the next phase of the training cycle, um, you know, through the spring and into the summer, it might kind of take care of itself because it's just a matter of your body has to get stronger, uh, just in general, just due to that demand again, with some, some upper body work help potentially. All right. Um, but this is going to be kind of one of those trial trial and error type of situations, both with how the pack sits and then with how you're working your body a little bit differently to help get that strength and the resilience to hopefully make the, the extra tightness, um, a non-issue. But I, I know that it can be a thing. I remember when I first got a pack for me, it was my lower back, which I think for me was a hundred percent core stability issues, but like it killed me to the point where I was just like, screw it. I'll dehydrate before I carry water anymore. Um, thankfully not the case anymore, but that was, that was, you know, 20, 2011, 2012 divs. And, uh, I still have the pack. Uh, it was like a junky one. Maybe that was part of the problem too. Um, but hopefully you'll find the right mix that keeps you, keeps you hydrated, carries your stuff. Doesn't irritate your back, uh, but good luck. Good luck. Thanks for the, the extra question there, Kelly. Bunch appreciated. Next one from Heather. You talked about runner's world last month. What running related media do you prefer? What makes the cut for your reading time? So, um, for me, it's mostly books and podcasts, quite, quite frankly, Heather. And, um, and I don't know, I mean, maybe this is a bad thing. Maybe this is something I shouldn't admit, but you know, when was the last time I didn't open my mouth and potentially insert my foot? Um, I don't really consume that much running media. Um, you know, I, I with the, with the book club, of course, you know, with the, the book club that we do, uh, and with, with the patrons, like, I mean, I'm reading a running book every month. 
Uh, so that's helpful. But a lot of times those are tend to be more, at least what we've done so far, memoirs and, and um, you know, things like that, that, that are interesting, but they're not exactly like fueling my knowledge about the sport and, and physiology, things like that. Although that's a lot of the books I read outside of the book club are things about biomechanics and, and physiology and kinesiology and things like that to try to help me understand the body better, help me understand my body better. So I can hopefully communicate that via the podcast when I'm working with, with, uh, you know, the, the runners that I coach, uh, and try to help them stay healthy, improve their fitness, things like that from that perspective. So that's where most of my, my, my running reading comes from. And then, you know, I've got a handful of podcasts that I'm not like, again, most of the, like the podcasts I'm most regularly listening to are not running related ones. Um, but I enjoy running with Jake from time to time. And Jake's, I've been trying to get Jake on the podcast for a while and we haven't lined up, but I was on his show about a year ago. Uh, loved, I loved chatting with him over in the UK. Um, Brody's show, uh, run smarter, Brody sharp. Uh, he's been on the show a couple of times. I've been on his show a couple of times. That's another good one. Um, and there's a, there's a handful of others. I don't want to, I don't want to not mention, I should, probably shouldn't have even mentioned the first two because now I'm not mentioning others, even though I listen to them, but they're not off the top of my head. Um, but those are, those, those are other areas where I get some information, um, and, and just kind of keep my, my running cup full or whatever you want to call it. But that's, that's, that's where my, my running media comes from these days. Um, you could make an argument that maybe it's not any, any higher quality journalism than runner's world is these days, but at least, at least it's palatable to me, <laughs> if nothing else. Right. Uh, but thank you for the question, Heather. Hope, uh, hope that makes sense. And, um, you know, if you're reading runner's world, Hey, keep on keeping on. If you enjoy it, that's what matters. Uh, it's just not for me anymore. Next question from Brooke. I talked to a lady at the last race and she was saying she had gut issues while running. If she doesn't carb load three days prior to the race, she says that when she does the three day carb load, she feels great on race day with no tummy issues. This doesn't make sense to me. I feel lethargic when I carb load before a race, but part of me wants to try it. What do you think? Um, another carb question. And I think, I think it kind of goes back to what I talked about with melody and, and it's kind of been the theme of this episode that, you know, like you got to trial and error a little bit and what works for you works for you. Um, I think that if you're not needing to carb load and you're feeling good and you're feeling strong and you're not fading at the end of the race, I don't know that I would try to carb load, but Hey, you know, sometimes you can make a very strong argument and you would not be wrong that the best way to figure out if something works is to try it. And to try it on race day and it might blow up or it might blow out as the case were when you're talking about fueling situations. Um, but it might also work. So, you know, I, I think, and again, going back to what we talked about with melody, like carb loading well enough beforehand that like your carb stores are full, but that your GI system has a chance to clear itself out a little bit is probably like, if you're going to carb load, like that's the way to do it. I don't think there's too many folks that are still saying like, you need to carb load like crazy the night before, because that, tends to lead to more tummy issues. But when you give yourself two or three days on the other side of it, it's probably clears itself out. Again, my argument would be that if you're doing that, then you don't really have any additional carbs in your system. You just have more potential for stored body fat, but that's another topic for another day. Um, you know, give it a shot. Yeah. Like that's, if you, if you're intrigued, try it, you might regret it, but you might learn that it works for you. It might learn that it's helpful for you. Um, and you don't know until you try. And, you know, everybody that's screaming, well, don't tell her to try something new on race day. I would argue, and I have argued in the past, and I will continue to argue that just because you try something during an 18 or 20 miler at cruise pace 
doesn't mean that you know how you're going to react over 26.2 miles at race pace. So you're still trying something new on race day. Maybe you do want to try it over an 18 or 20 miler because if you, if you react poorly, then you're definitely going to react poorly on race day. But just because it works during that long training run doesn't mean it's going to work on race day. So maybe try it in training, see how you feel. If you feel okay, then maybe you got the courage to try it on race day. If you feel lousy on race day, or on, I'm sorry, on training day, then maybe, you know, try it, turning it back an extra day, eat a little bit less, you know, play with some of those other variables over the course of the training. And if you, when you get to a point where you feel like it's kind of maybe helpful during your training, then try that on race day and uh, hope for the best hope for the best, but thank you for the question. Milady. hope things are well in GA next question from Robert. What is your best advice for conquering Hills repeats or long hilly runs once a week, once a week or more. It's an area I hope to improve in my running. So in addition to the tactics that we talked about with Jackie's question of like kind of waiting until you're close to cresting the hill to kind of push it, cruise over and then recover on the way down. I think that my best advice for becoming a better hill runner is that you got to practice it. You got to run more. And I don't, I don't, think, you know, and I, I reserve the right to change my mind, but I don't think you can convince me that hill repeats, at least as I understand hill repeats is the best way to improve your hill running. As I understand hill repeats, that typically means you start at the bottom of the hill, you, you sprint up or you run a certain distance up, you recover back down, rinse and repeat. There's a benefit to that. That can be helpful. That can help you get stronger. That can help with some form issues that can help with a lot of things. Does it help you run a hill during the course of a race? I don't think so. I don't think so. To me, I think the best way to train for hills, especially the hills that you might have to deal with on race day, is to just incorporate hills into your runs. You know, uh, practice running uphill, practice running downhill. I think running downhill is an area that we as runners neglect to our detriment far too often, far too easily. Um, because typically on race day, if you got to run up, you got to run down. And by practicing running down, you, you learn how to lean into the hill. You learn how to not put the brakes on so you don't trash your, your quads nearly as much. And you learn how to just embrace going downhill, letting gravity help you, and just cruising. And if you can do that, you can make up a lot of time on, on the downhills um, and really use the downhills to your advantage without, you know, so many people get so worried about, oh, I'm going to run downhills, it's going to trash my quads. If you know how to run downhills, it won't, cra- it won't trash your quads. But the only way to figure it out is to practice. So I would say, you know, just during the course of your runs, not that you need to seek out every possible hill, but on a regular basis, mix some hills in, mix some ups, mix some downs. Um, so that on race day, you're comfortable downshifting, upshifting, leaning forward, uh, and just cruising. And that will probably, um, serve you well on race day. So hopefully that helps Robert. Thanks for the question. Good luck with, uh, running more hills in the, uh, in the not too distant future. Oh goodness. How many more questions do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine to go. We're inside of double digits. We're an hour and a half in. Yeah. That, that two hour, um, prediction. Kind of looking, looking like that's got, uh, some potential anyway. Next question from Michaela. So I, so do I sign up for the race? I DNF the, uh, sorry, I'm reading the question poorly, uh, as per usual. So sign up for the race. I DNF is coming up soon and I've got mixed feelings. I want to try again because I'm annoying myself or I'm annoyed at myself for not training as I should have last year. But part of me says, don't bother to sign up for it this year. Could it be that I'm just afraid to fail at it again? Um, I mean, yeah, sure. That could be it. Absolutely could be. I think that, um, 
you know, I think I think a DNF a DNF stings. Obviously, it's not not ideal. Nobody signs up for a race hoping that they're not going to finish, right? Um, but but you know, a DNF can be one of those things that like it can really be a a, a reality check of like, all right, well, I didn't do the work, so of course that's what happens. So the next time I sign up for a race, whether it's the same race or another race, I'm going to do the work. Um, but it also could be like like check your motivation. You know, if if you're if you're not sure that you want to actually train for the race, if you're not sure that you want to run the race, then signing up for the race probably isn't going to help with that. So whether it's the distance, whether it's the race itself, whether it's just a a busy time of life leading up to the race, that that's going to potentially get in the way of of the training that you need to do. um, I would try to, 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 you know, sift through a little bit, sift through the layers and see if you can't maybe identify something a little deeper that may or may not be going on. Um, Because signing up for the race could provide you that motivation. Right, a little bit of redemption from last year, um, but you know, if you're kind of in that don't bother phase because you're afraid of, of failing, then sometimes we can self sabotage and be like, oh well, I'm probably not going to going to do well, so I'm not going to train, and then of course you're not going to do well. So it's it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one that that maybe there could be some fear of failure, maybe could there could be some um, maybe even fear of success. You know, I don't know if that's something that you might struggle with, but that's something that's happened to folks before. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't sign up for it unless you want to do it, you know? And then if you want to do it, hopefully it'll make the training go better, which will make the race go better, which will make it be a success. So think about if you really want to do it, commit to, if you really want to do it, and if not, it's okay. It's okay. Maybe you don't sign up for it this year. And then next year you sign up for it and you're in a, in a place where it's, it's something that you really are looking forward to. Maybe you find yourself kicking yourself going, wow, why didn't I sign up for it? Well, next year I'll sign up for it and you'll be chomping at the bit, ready to go, get it done and, you know, get that DNF taste out of your mouth. Okay. Lots to think about. We can always discuss it, but uh, hopefully that helps Michaela. Uh, next question from Dan. I got a couple from Dan here in a row. Can you talk about the reasons why you might run for time as opposed to distance? When I started training, I always ran for distance. However, recently I've been challenged to run for a certain amount of time instead, rather than focusing on the distance. Is this just a matter of preference or are there specific reasons to choose one over the other? So great question, Dan, and something that, um, sometimes certain coaches will have a preference for one or the one over the other. Sometimes certain training plans have a preference for one over the other. Um, certainly sometimes runners will have a preference for one over the other. And in most cases it's, it's six and one half dozen of the, you know, of the other scenario. If you have a preference for running for time versus distance or vice versa, by all means, by all means, it's fine. Um, as a coach, as your coach, um, sometimes the, the reasons for, for making that switch, there is a little bit of strategy to it, Right. Sometimes you might have somebody, and this is not necessarily you, Dan, so I'm not throwing you under the bus by any stretch, but just as an, as a possible way of explaining the logic, um, you might have somebody who you say, Hey, you know, let's, let's aim for 10 miles this weekend for your long run. And they're like, ah, I don't know that 10 miles. That seems like a lot. And maybe they get in their head a little bit about running 10 miles. And she say, all right, well, what about two hours? Do you think two hours would be okay? They're like, yeah, two hours. I can handle that. Well, for a lot of folks, two hours and 10 miles they're probably going to be close. They might not be exact. We might be at, you know, whatever, eight and three quarters miles or nine and a quarter miles. Um, or might be at 10 and 10 and a half miles, whatever. doesn't matter. It's going to be close. It's going to be in that ballpark, but it takes the stress and anxiety about like, Oh gosh, I got to get to 10 miles. Like no, just two hours, cruise it nice and easy. No factor. Obviously the flip side of that could be a, a situation like, Oh, I can't run for two hours. Well, can you, can you go for, for 10 miles? Oh yeah, I think I can do that. All right, there you go. Right. So you can kind of sometimes manipulate the, the schedule a little bit as the coach, or just when you're putting your own schedule together to where you're like, all right, well, I'm going to go about this far in about this time, 
the distance scares me, but the time doesn't. So we'll go by time or vice versa. Another, another thing that I've been known to use with, with switching between distance and time is how it relates to sometimes to effort. If I'm telling somebody that they need to go out and run for two hours and I don't care about the distance and I just want you to keep it easy, it might be a lot easier to run two hours easy and you end up at, you know, whatever, 10 miles or nine and three quarters or 11 and a half or whatever, but just keeping it easy. If I tell you to run 10 miles, you're like, well, I want to get this 10 miles over with. You might go down and throw down an hour and a half for 10 miles. And now that long, easy run wasn't easy. Still maybe long, but it wasn't easy. So sometimes depending on the athlete and depending on how they, how they're wired, you might switch it to distance because that removes that temptation of, I got to get to this set finish line, the quicker, the better. And it's just like, well, I got to cover, I got to stay on my feet for two hours. So there's no reason to force the pace and they're okay with running quote unquote only 10 miles. Um, when they could have run 10 miles a lot faster, if they were just trying to get to that finish line, if that makes sense. So there's different reasons, but it's all, it's, it's typically a mental gymnastics exercise between the two. Um, but mental gymnastics is sometimes a necessary part of the process. So you, you, you know, you do what you got to do. Uh, but hope all that makes sense. And, uh, you know, if one's working for you better than the other, cool. If you like a little bit of both, cool, you know, flip flop, do what you got to do for sure. Next question also from Dan, since you've started the book club, was just curious, what are the best two or three running books that you've read? Um, this is, you know, one of those questions that's just a tough one to answer because like we've read a lot of good books over the years in the book club. We've been doing book club now for like two and a half years, three years, something like that. And we've read a lot of good books. We've also read some, some stinkers, I think, but that's okay. You know, we can't, they can't all come out, uh, wonderful. Um, but it's a hard one to answer because I feel like it's been more than two or three that I've really enjoyed, but somewhat off the top of my head. And after a, a refresh of the bookshelf, uh, in the last few years, two or three that I've really enjoyed, uh, stronger than the dark, which is the book actually we just finished reading was this month's book club book. Um, it's Corey Reese about kind of his, his battle with depression and how running played a part in overcoming that depression and working through the depression, but also maybe in a couple cases might not have helped so much. You know, just, it was just, it's a very honest, raw look at, his struggle with depression and, and where running played into it. Really enjoyed that book. Uh, Runner's High by Dean Carnassus was a book we read maybe about a year ago. Um, enjoyed that one. Didn't think I was necessarily going to, but it was suggested. A couple people requested it. All right, we'll do it. Um, and I don't know why. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I guess I do know why. I don't really care that much about memoirs from like elite runners. Um, kind of going back to Lewis's question and how every time he asked me about elite, I'm like, I don't care. Um, but like, I enjoyed it. I thought it was well written. It was an engaging story. Um, I don't have any animosity towards Dean and he was on the show a while back and he was a wonderful guy to talk to. really had a blast, really genuine, seemed like a great guy. Um, and I enjoyed his book. I enjoyed his book. That was one that uh, kind of su surprised me how much I enjoyed it. Likewise, let your mind run. was the, the Dina Castor book. Um, that focused a lot more on, on, I mean, it talked about her running and, and kind of her, you know, her career, but a lot more mindset, a lot more of the, me the mental side, which I guess makes sense from the title, let your mind run. Uh, but I was not an anticipating that. And it was very pleasantly surprised at all the mindset work that was also included in that book. So those are three that I, that I really enjoyed outside of book club. Probably the ones, if I had to say, these are the books that I really enjoyed more than those ones. Um, and kind of getting back to Heather's question. These are more technical, more, more body science, exercise, science, physiology, et cetera. Um, but ready to run is a book I'm reading right now. Um, kind of really changing some of my outlook on, on the little things. Um, in a hopefully good way. And I'll, I'll talk more about that as we go, you know, not today, but that, that's something that you might, you might hear more about, uh, coming down the pipe. 
um, primal endurance, which is really kind of what put me into this whole low carb heart rate training situation, totally changed how I, how I run for myself and a lot of some of the advice I give. Um, and 80, 20 running was maybe the book that started it all. Uh, and just kind of opened me up to the idea of running slow and how that can actually help you get faster. Um, so those are, those are three other books that we haven't done in book club and we may never do them in book club because I feel like, I feel like I'm the, the one that wants more of the, the nuts and bolts and maybe not everybody else does, which is cool. Totally fine. Um, but those are two or three other running books that I've read that I really, really enjoyed. Um, and again, they're more technical as far as body science and things like that. Um, not, not like super technical, like you don't need a PhD to read them, but if you're not interested in physiology, those probably wouldn't be interesting to you. But, uh, if you're interested in the book club, since Dan teed me up there, um, it's Patreon exclusive. You heard me talk about that before. Patreon.com slash disruns. We are reading a novel in the month of May called Flanagan's run. Uh, if you'd like to join us for that party, uh, get yourself a copy of the book. It's a long book. So you might want to get it now start reading it. Maybe listen to it. I think I'm going to get it on audible this time. Um, but, uh, Join the party at patreon.com slash disruns. And towards the end of May, we will saddle up on a Zoom call and discuss it. Hopefully, hopefully everybody will like it like we did the last book, uh, Str- uh, Stronger Than the Dark from Corey Reese. But uh, thanks for the questions, Dan. Uh, appreciate you. Next, it's time for the uh, the monthly tradition around here. The Tom Trifecta. Three questions from Western New York. First one, what is your favorite electrolyte replacement product or food? Um... I don't know that's my favorite, but it's the one I use most often. And it's simply my salt shaker. It's simply my salt shaker. I don't overthink it. I add, you know, a few shakes of salt to my water bottle every time I fill it up. And, uh, that seems like it helps. It seems like it helps. Uh, I have been using element lately because, uh, one of my, one of my athletes surprisingly or stealthily sent me a, a care package from element, uh, with some samples and some trials and I'd never used it before. And I'm starting to use it now and I enjoy it. Um, but I feel like, like all those products, like they're just, they're, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but whether we're talking element, whether we're talking noon, whether we're talking uh, precision hydration or any of the other options out there that are basically low cal, low carb, salt, electrolyte type of replacements, with a little bit of flavor, they're all six to one half dozen of the other. So it just comes down to what works best for you. You know, what, what do you like flavor profiles, things like that. Um, but shoot, you can even go with, with like salt tablets, salt stick, things like that. Um, there's so many different options out there, but. Um, you know, if you know, you're a salty sweater, we're heading into summer, get yourself some type of, whether it's adding more salt to your food and to your drinks or just from the salt shaker, whether it's some product that you're paying for, replace those electrolytes. Your body needs that salt. Uh, take it in, take it in. And especially, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but the cleaner your diet happens to be, you know, the less processed your food happens to be, the more you need to add external salt. Cause you're not getting as much from the more processed foods. So something to keep in mind Depending on what your diet looks like, if you cleaned up your diet, eating more real food, you need to add more real salt as well um, in some form or fashion, whether it's it's a product, whether it's just a salt shaker, whatever, make sure you get more salt in your diet, uh, if you, especially if you struggle with the heat or you know you're a salty sweater or both or both. Next question from Tom. Is there a race aside from the six majors that is a goal race for you? Where and why? Not really. Not really. I mean, I mean my, my ambitions for Boston are well-documented. Um, Honestly, I think I'm, I'm more excited about the potential to BQ than I am. Not that I, not that I am about running Boston. Like I want to run Boston, the, just the history, the pomp, the circumstance, the whatever. Um, but I have no idea what race I'll, I'll BQ at, you know, I have no idea. Um, and outside of that one, I mean, there's, there's a half a dozen races that are on my, oh, that sounds like it would be a good race. 
you know, Missoula, Montana would be a good race. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe grandma's would be a fun one. Um, but I'm, I'm also well documented in that I, I like the smaller races, right? I like the kind of the little, little hole in the walls, the, the 600 people races that probably don't have the type of budget that everyone knows about them. Um, so, you know, when I'm looking at possibilities, when I'm looking at maybe traveling to an area, finding a, a, a race to run to, to, you know, tick that state off the list, um, you know, I'll find a race, I'll find a race. And, and, uh, but yeah, no, no real major goal races, um, in part because that's just too much planning. And that's not my, that's not my style as, as Thessaly, you know, got out of me talking about mother's day. Like that's still two weeks away. So I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, races that are still years away. I, I don't know, you know, Boston. Yes. Um, other than that, you know, I, I'll probably say no to nothing, but nothing is like a must do either. You know, like, like if I got a chance to get in New York, I would do it. Am I going to, you know, be, be heartbroken if I never run the New York city marathon? Absolutely not. At least not right now. As of the end of April, 2022, don't really care if I don't ever run New York. I would love to. I think it'd be great. It'd be fun. It'd be a great experience, but it's not like a major goal by any stretch. So no, I don't really have any races uh, aside from Boston, which is one of the majors. Um, don't really have any epic goal races, but not, not too many that I can think of that. I would say no to the opportunity to run either. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tackle something big, something small, something middle, um, something hilly, something flat, something, you know, whatever I, I I'm down for about whatever. Um, just take them as they come, take them as they come. Next question. Also from Tom, the, the, the third question of the trifecta, many marathon races also have a 5k either the day before or two days before the actual marathon. What are your thoughts on running one of these 5k's? I chose not to, in order to conserve my energy and have fresh legs on race day. However, many people do run these pre-marathon race days and do five, these pre-marathon 5k's and do fine in the subsequent marathon. Um, <laughs> it's funny to me, Tom, that you would ask me, what are my thoughts on running a 5k before a marathon? I mean, you could just stop it. What are my thoughts on running? A, my thoughts on running a 5k are thus. <laughs> oh, Tom, you got your jokes. You got jokes today. You got jokes today about running a 5k. Um, but in all seriousness, you know, to, to actually try to answer your question, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but I think how you run the 5k depends a lot on what your goals for the marathon are. Assuming that we're talking about, this is a 5k associated with a marathon, right? Like, like, and it's the day or two before, like that timing doesn't matter. You know, so many people are going to do some type of shakeout run a day or two before the marathon, especially if they're traveling in, just stretch the legs out, get a little bounce, kind of get, get a little feel for the, the, the area. Um, and if you're going to do two or three miles before, you know, the day before your marathon is a shakeout run and you want to do it as part of the, the, the 5k associated with the race, that that's fine. You know, just as long as you're not one that's going to go out and then drop the hammer on the 5k while also expecting to try to drop the hammer on the marathon. If your if your goal is to run the marathon fast PR chasing times, whatever you want, you run to run a couple, couple few miles the day before nice and easy. That's sh- probably shouldn't be a problem, right? If you're, if you're fit and trained, to PR the marathon two miles to three miles to 3.1 miles the day before at a nice, comfortable pace, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Now it doesn't seem, it doesn't mean that it's going to help you. It doesn't mean that you need to, it doesn't mean that by not doing it, you're, you're hindering yourself, but it's not going to be a detriment. If your goal is to just cruise the marathon, then you can do the 5k. However you want to, you can hammer it. You can take it nice and easy, whatever. And it's probably not going to be a problem. So, you know, I feel like if, if you want to do it, cool, you can, um, do you need to No. Shouldn't you? No. Um, 
just kind of whatever, whatever floats the proverbial boat for you in terms of doing the 5k, how you want to do it, costs, logistics. Are you going to be there? You know, if you're traveling from out of town, are you going to be there? You're not, does it fit with your, with your plans? If all that lines up, go for it. If not, don't, no worries one way or the other. Uh, but thank you for the question, Tom. And, and it's a good thing to, to keep in mind. Um, and, and if you're the type of person that gets themselves in a 5k thinking you're going to run it easy and then you, you, you don't, then maybe it would be best to avoid. Maybe it would be best to avoid in that situation. Next question from Ellen. We got three questions left and yeah, we're going to, we're going to cross that two hour mark today. I was right. I was, I knew there were a bunch of questions today. Uh, last, uh, I'm sorry. Last question from Ellen. First of the last three lately, I've heard some strange, I've heard of some strange race distances. One hand on one hand. Yes. A weird distance is an automatic PR. So that's kind of cool, but would it drive you crazy to run a race that is 3.9 miles on purpose or 6.15 miles again on purpose? I know it would drive me crazy. No, it would not drive me crazy at all. Ellen, um, in case, in case you all aren't sure, and I'm pretty sure most of you are sure, and I'm pretty sure that's the most times one can use sure in one sentence without, that's, that's enough. I used sure enough in that paragraph to, uh, to be done with it for a while. But you know, like I am, I am so type B minus that the idea of like, if a race is 3.9 miles, cool, you know, awesome. If it's four miles, that's kind of also a unique race distance. So that's cool. Um, you know, whatever it is, it's fine. And, and I think that sometimes potentially at least, um, some of these aren't just, you know, willy nilly random race distances. Like there's a reason behind it because like you're running a trail and that's the distance of the trail and you can't just like add another block to get it to the right distance, right? Like you're running this, this trail. That's, that's the distance. So that's what the race distance becomes. Sometimes there are numbers that they make sense in the metric system, but they don't make sense sense in the, whatever we are, the non-metric system or vice versa. So it might be, it might be five miles, but you know, which w- w- might be a number that would make sense, but you're running it in a place where it's a metric metric distance. And it's whatever that works out to be. Five miles would be like 8.2 kilometers, right? Or eight kilometers, something like that. But whatever it is, like, like then it works out to be a not easy number. Or maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a 9k, because for some reason that was, that's a, a standard distance or it's a, it's a 15 K. Well then it's, fi- you know, 5.3 miles. Well, what the hell are we on a 5.3 miles? Well, Cause it's 15 K 15 K is an easy number, right? So, so sometimes those types of things happen, but my, my other pushback to your, that would drive me crazy. And, and maybe it's because of the, 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 like they schedule it for this distance on purpose versus that's just how it shook out. But like, you know, you've never run a marathon that was 26.2 miles that, that you actually ran right? Like because of tangents and because of, of various issues in that situation, like you probably, all your marathons have been whatever, 26.3 miles, 26.37 miles, some type of ugly random number, right? So it's kind of like, I feel like every distance we run is a weird distance when it's all said and done. Now I get that it's not like, that's not the official distance. So I get, I get what you're saying there. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about that type of thing. And, and especially since, you know, like, like, like those are the type of things that can make a race unique, right? Makes it different. Like you said, automatic PR, but also just something different, something fun. Like, like I've run how many half marathons, like enough, uh, like enough that I could probably count them out, but like, whatever. But like how many 12 milers have I run? How many, how many 14.4 milers have I run? Zero is the answer to both of those questions. But if I ran one of those distances, I would remember it. It would stand out. It would be something different. So, I mean, I'm, I'm down for that type of spontaneity on of race distance and like, Hey, you know, whatever. 
And as I, as I talked about on the uh, the April Fool's edition of the Friday Five, I think a race like that could like where you don't even know the distance until you show up for the race. That would be exciting, you know. So like, hey, we're gonna run this race. It's gonna be you're gonna need about five mile fitness. Um, sign up, and and the actual race distance will be determined when we get there. Or it will be revealed when we get there. And you get there, and you find out that the race is four point six miles, or it's five point eight miles, or maybe you don't even know the distance until you get to the finish line. I think there's, there's, I like the ambiguity. I like the, the, the awkwardness of those different distances. Um, so yeah, it would not drive me crazy at all, but you, all you type a people and Ellen, you know, I love you, but I also know you are type a to the max. And you also know you're type a to the max. I can see why it would bother the hell out of you, but I'm a, I'm all in Mr. Mr. B minus over here, all in on the random distances. Um, Next question from Brooke, and really the last two questions, one from Brooke, one from Michaela, a lot of overlap. So uh, I'll, I'll just kind of read both questions and answer them both kind of simultaneously, but there's a little bit of subtlety between the two. Uh, Brooke's question, will you ever join the 50 States Marathon Club or are you planning to just run all of them just to say you did it? And the Michaela's question, since you, since now you want to quote unquote wander, which I'm not sure what you're getting. I, I don't know that I want to wander. I don't know what, I don't even know what you're asking there, Michaela, but whatever. Uh, since, since now you want to wander, run, does your marathon in all 50 states have to be a road marathon? Like, do you want it to be official or would trails count? Or what about a timed event where you go 26.2 plus? So, um, as far as would I ever join the 50 state marathon club? Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not against it. I'm not chomping at the bit. I mean, I think I've run enough. I think I've got 10 states now and I think that's the, the minimum. So I could join it right now. Um, but I don't really like, I'm not going to say, no, I won't join it. I'm not for sure that I will. Um, you like, I will run a marathon in every state and, and I don't need the 50 state club certification to like say it like, like I will do it. Right. I'm not going to cut the corners. I'm not going to run a 20 mile. and be like, Oh, well that was close enough. That was a like, no, 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 no. Um, so to Michaela's question, like it doesn't necessarily have to be all road marathons for me. I, I feel like that's probably where I'm still leaning is what I'm, what I'll theoretically try to do, but it could be a trip. No, 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 not even, not even, it doesn't even have to be a road marathon. It has to be at least a marathon. Right. But it could be a trail marathon. Um, but on the trails, of course, it starts to get a little bit dicey because a trail marathon, if it's anything like a trail ultra, it could be anything from like 24 and a half miles, to 28 miles. Right. And I would be pissed if I got, you know, if I went to freaking, you know, whatever, New Hampshire and to run this, this trail marathon and it was only 24 and a half miles. And they're like, yeah, but you know, trails and it's close enough. Like, no, 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 no. In the ultras close enough in marathons, we got to get to 26.2 miles. And I don't know that I would feel justified in just like, well, I'll just go run another mile and a half to get there. Like that doesn't, that doesn't work. Right. So I need it to be at least a marathon to get a marathon in every state. But I also think that for me, that I would not lose any sleep. I would not hem and haw. I would not put an asterisk by it. If I did an ultra, you know, if I did it, if I did a 31 miler in somewhere, like I could count that if I did some six hour race, and I ended up running 28 miles or 34 miles or whatever, but it was more than 26.2. I could count that as long as it was continuous. You know, I wouldn't want to do something like, I know you're trying to convince me to come run this, this, you know, 5k time type of thing where you run in a 5k every hour. Like I couldn't run nine of those and count that. I don't think, I don't think I would allow myself to count that where I ran, you know, 28 miles, but it was like three miles and then, you know, whatever, a 20 minute break and three miles and a 20, like that would that I don't know it would set right with me, 
but a timed event where I just ran out and ran 28 miles, like that would be fine. That would be fine. That's not the ambition right now. Like the ambition is to do a proper marathon, like as in road or trail, but like a proper, like it is a marathon, um, in every state, but you know, desperate times, desperate measures, things might change in the future. And, and if they do, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm B minus enough to be like, eh, you know, still got everywhere. A couple of States. I ran 28 miles. Good enough. Good enough. You know, make it, make it work. So there you, there you go. There you go. Hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully that, that satisfies you 50 staters that, uh, that I'm, I'm, you know, I honestly, I don't care if it satisfies you. Like it'll satisfy me when I get there. I'll, I'll have done it. I'll have, I'll have collected my medals. I'll pass go. I'll maybe collect $200. Um, but it, you know, like, I'm more worried about just like feeling like a, you know, goal accomplished. Right. And if it's not quote unquote official, eh, then go pound sand. It's, it's fine by me. So there we go. That's it for today. A little over two hours, not too bad, but, uh, you know, for the number of questions we had, I feel like I handled it pretty well. And I feel like my voice held up, which I'm mildly surprised that that happened. Um, but thanks for listening. Y'all hope this was helpful. What did I get right? What did I get wrong? What do you disagree with? What do you think that maybe, what, what, is there anything that I do, do that you do agree with? One way or the other, always love to hear from y'all at Dizruns on Twitter, at Dizruns on Instagram. You can slide into the DMs. You can tag me in a post and let me know what you think of today's Q&A episode or this month's Q&A episode. You know, send an email at Dizruns at gmail.com. And of course, you can also, also head over to the show notes for today, which you can get to at Dizruns.com slash 1043. Dizruns.com slash 1043. Most of the questions have a meme or a gif attached to them. There's a couple that don't, but most of them do. Feel free to go laugh to your heart's content because Lord knows I spend more time than I should memeing and jiffing the Q&A episodes. But that's all right. I enjoy it. So, you know, again, whether nobody else does, not my concern. Uh, but y'all, thanks for the time. Thanks for the attention. Thanks for taking me with you. If you enjoyed this episode, hit that share button. And if you want to get a question or multiple questions, as the case often is, in next month's Q&A episode or any month's Q&A episode down the road, get in the Facebook group. That's the best way to do it. Dizruns.com slash Facebook. Uh, come join the party. Uh, ask to come in. We'll let you in. And then in the middle of the month, you'll see the post. It's pretty obvious. Daily Diz post. And uh, chime in with your questions there. And I will answer them shortly whenever that next Q&A episode comes out, usually about 10 days later. So here we go. That's it. Dizruns.com slash Facebook or just search for the Dizruns tribe. And until next time, y'all be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, all right? Later, y'all.